George. What's going on, buddy? How's it going? So good to have good you to back. You. Great to be here in your new and improved studio. <laughs> yeah, you haven't seen the the the, the new stuff, have you? It's uh, uh, we've I done seen some uh, we've done some upgrades. It shows. It does. It's eh? working now. Uh, just before we get started, just for the benefit of the people listening or watching, because we haven't put out a show uh, of the backstage podcast in a while. It's been a little in hiatus because I've been focusing a lot on the other podcast, the Justice Dads, which has been getting a lot of attention. Um, but yeah, I've always I, I have no kids that I know of, so I cannot be a so member yeah, of the podcast. I'm but so you, sorry, well, you but I'm happy that you brought me on to here at least. Yeah, so. yeah exactly. It's like uh, no, no. Th- this is kind of like a new beginning for the podcast. Hopefully, I can uh, I can keep uh, going, and uh, it always kind of starts up again when elections come around we did the, the the car ride stuff and all that so um yeah sorry sorry to everyone that watches this and hasn't got an episode for a while but uh we got the best guy uh to start this up again michael forian who keeps the tradition going uh by bringing a wine and uh, halfway what? through the podcast we may be slurring or who knows <laughs> Half, what's gonna halfway. happway <laughs> oh yeah yeah halfway, like after a drink what, what do you got for us we've, we've got um a cru bourgeois la fleur Pirabon, uh, Podiac 2016. Um, I've never had this before, but according to Vivino, a 4.2. Okay, there you go. Cheers. Cheers. Great to be back. Always good to see you. Ah, Not too bad, eh? It's very good. Yeah. It's very nice. So... Um, and so by the how way, you been? how you been? I've been great. And just on the, on the, on, on your other podcast, yeah. if, if anybody has any children that they, they want to give to me, they're getting sick and tired of their kids by all means. Don't, don't even wish that. Don't call dude. me. <laughs> uh, okay. So. I, thought, I thought you were going the other way. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Please. Yeah. Uh, how's everything? How you, how you been? Um, you've been bouncing ar- ar- around oh. a lot. Uh, I've been everywhere, a, you, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you did a little run at the Senate. Uh, then you flew over to Alberta. Now reverse. you're uh, reverse. Alberta, Alberta first, Senate. Senate. Now you became a lobbyist. Yeah. Um, tends to happen for people involved in politics. It's, this is it's, not it's, a shocker for anybody yeah, familiar it, with the show. It's it's a natural path, and uh, it's it's a good path. Like you're you're already there to begin with. You know the ropes. You know the doors that you need to knock on. Um, I think it's a good fit. Well, here's the thing. You you have political capital and you've got your value as a political staffer. And that has a half-life. It has an expiration date. And the question is, how long is that going to be uh, valuable for you? And how and when when will be the uh, when can you dispense of that political capital uh, and and make the the biggest uh, purchase? Let's say right um, when looking for a job, and and of course the job market right now is very lucrative for for people that are seeking uh, new employment mm-hmm. or a change, a little shakeup. I said to myself, you know, I've been in political staffing for uh, you know throughout the past ten years of my life, probably for seven years plus. Uh, you know, I'm somebody who went from being a journalist uh, in my early career, wanting to really perfect that, and and it just didn't it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Not because uh, I wasn't getting great opportunities, not because uh, I wasn't pushing hard enough, not because I didn't have supposedly some talent, but because the job market for journalism back in 2012 was a shit show, mm-hmm. like it was for in the U.S. across the world. There was no there. There was a, a need to adapt for people that were in journalists and, and a need to find different revenue streams. I took the talents that I had as a journalist working at CJD. I did that for about two and a half years, uh, freelance throughout the Maple Spring. You know, doing things that other you know eighteen and nineteen year olds coming out of out of Sejap and you know about to start the university career didn't really have a chance to right. do. 
And I took those chances. I took those leaps of faith and it was great, great over those two and a half years. But then, you know, you have companies like Bell Media coming in and buying Astral and, right. you know, cutting a third of the workforce and even more than that since I've left, um, I knew that it wasn't sustainable. So I went, I went to politics and I, and I, had, I had a great, um, you know, passion for, uh, for Quebec politics as a, as a, and which is kind of contrary to who I am as an Anglo-Quebecer because mm-hmm. a lot of people think, well, Anglophones just aren't, aren't involved or right. they don't care about English. Um, they don't care about Quebec politics. Just not which the is case. wrong. Very wrong. Mm-hmm. Because if you you're not involved, just like if you don't vote, you really don't have a yeah. have a right to say anything after the fact. And so I wanted to get involved in that, and I had great opportunities with you know politicians like Jacques Chagnon, Speaker of the Quebec National Assembly, like Jeffrey Kelly, mm-hmm. former Minister of Indigenous Relations, who still to this day, if you speak to any um, chief or grand chief or uh, you know somebody who's been very much involved in in the the world of Indigenous relations, uh, they'll say that Jeff Kelly stands to this day as the, the at least the greatest living mm-hmm. uh, Minister of Indigenous Relations uh, that Quebec has ever had. Mm-hmm. If not the greatest in mm-hmm. history and uh, something that obviously Jeff is very proud of and I was very proud to work with him and then you know taking that obviously governments fall uh, every once yeah. in a while so yeah. you know we we leaving Quebec to head over to work at the IEFA the International Economic Forum of oh, the Americas yeah. Yeah. did that for a little while and then uh, this brings me to the point of like you, you talked about bouncing around a lot COVID was a terrible thing for a lot of people mm. um, for m- some more than others um, the loss of life, um, the effects of long COVID that people have to live with. I got very lucky, um, but I wanted to also try something new um, during this time of flux. It was, great change was going on. And I said to myself, okay, I can either stay here and twiddle my thumbs and wait for something else to happen because unfortunately, uh, as it was the, the, the case for many people, I got laid off along mm-hmm. with 90% of the staff at the IEFA and I decided to go to Alberta mm-hmm. and work for the, the Kenny government out there. Take what I earned, learned here in Quebec, bring it over to the other side of the country and make with it what it is, mm-hmm. you know, and, and try to help out there. How was that over there? Alberta's a different place, man. Yeah. It really is the Wild West. <laughs> and I've got family out there and I, and, I, and, I, and I love Alberta and I loved Alberta even before I went out there to work there, but, but working out there in the political sphere, it's nuts. Right. There is this great aggressiveness, this animosity that both the left and right have for each other that is just not healthy it is just and we 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 can talk about you know how trump has really opened up this very dark door of of terrible politics um and and the the type of vitriol that we see today on social media of course people love staying behind anonymous um you know pictures yeah. or names on on twitter and facebook and whatnot uh, but but it really was dark in alberta from that perspective and it's something that I, I learned a lot from you know i was a target of many attacks many of the staffers there unfortunately were many targets of many attacks also from from people uh, in the ndp and mm and other political circles too, and uh, emotionally gets too, mentally gets too, and, and having to deal with that uh, is, it, it was tough. You know what I've, what's always fascinated me for uh, about Alberta, and obviously I don't follow the politics uh, that much. So I, do, I do it so you don't have to. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, it, it feels like there's no middle ground. Like you said, no. there's like two extremes. You're either a conservative or you're in the NDP. Like these are the two forces. I mean, is there even a provincial liberal alternative? There probably is. There is. They've got zero rep- representation in the in the house. They haven't had any representation since I want to say two thousand nine, two thousand twelve ish. Quite a while. Um, they're not going to be having any representation anytime soon because mm. you know Justin Trudeau is 
you know, demonstrably just not a, a in very Alberta, popular. In Alberta, the provincial and federal, they're linked, no right? Link. Oh, they're not? No link. Okay, okay. No but still the branding, though, that hurts. The, the branding that kills them. Yeah. Trudeau is not a popular name to be uh, saying around there, whether yeah. you're a new Democrat or a conservative or somewhere in between. You're probably not a fan of Justin Trudeau. Yeah. He'll get a few seats. He'll pick up a few seats in Calgary here and there. He'll lose some, gain some more from election to election, but it's not... Uh, it's not necessarily a name you want to associate with. But see, I, right. I always found that fascinating that there's no middle ground. Like you're yeah. <laughs> you're either right or you're left, and that's it. Which the weirdest thing on that, the weirdest thing is that if you actually poll Albertans and ask them who they are, they're actually more centrist than you think. They're not necessarily hardcore uh, conservatives that are you know the, this new level of alt right or something of that nature. They're nothing close to that. Right. Uh, they're pretty centrist. Um, whether they be from rural Alberta or urban Alberta or somewhere in between, they're center of the line, and and people fail to recognize that. Albertans, by and large, just want to, you know, get their resources to Tidewater. They right. want to get their oil and gas yeah. uh, exported to the rest of the world, and uh, they don't want people stopping them. And they want to be, and they, they're saying, we, we, we have this deal where we, we were proposing this deal where, uh, you know, as part of equalization, you get Canada, you get to, to reap off the benefits. This right. is something that's mutually um, beneficial for you as well. And Albertans feel left out. And, and what you're seeing right now in their leadership race is really um, quite, I think it's a good barometer of, of some of the tensions within the Conservative Party because you're seeing people pushing for really hardcore uh, sovereignty level uh, types of uh, activism mm -hmm. and, and, and plans that they want to put forward in terms of their position. It's really getting aggressive from this perspective. But Albertans are very center of the road. Uh, do I think that the NDP has a chance to win back power this time around? Maybe. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's it's going to take a lot from Rachel Ali. Oh, is she is she back in the picture? She's back. She's still but never left. Oh, she never left. Never left. She was always leader of the opposition, even mm -hmm. during the time that I was there. And she and and one thing that I'll say about, about Rachel Notley and the NDP, the the are by far, and no one can argue against this, the most effective official opposition in the entire country. Right. And opposition parties across Canada can learn so much by what the NDP does, the way they maneuver, the issues they bring up. Um, they know exactly what they're doing in terms of fighting a government and, and, and asking the right questions and not backing down. They don't show blood, uh, their own blood. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't show when they're bleeding. They um, And they'll cut you more ways than you'll ever know. Yeah. Well, it's kind of to be expected, right? When you just have uh, kind of like a two-party system, because that's what it is, essentially, at least for the last you know 10 or so years, um, when you've gotten used to being in power and then in opposition and then back again and you're flip-flopping this way, you know the ropes. I mean, no wonder they're, they're, they're good where they are. Uh, I don't know how they were in government because I don't follow the, the, mm -hmm. the politics out in Alberta, but I, it doesn't shock me in the least that they're effective in what they're doing. They were inexperienced in government. They, they were incapable of governing. Yeah. Uh, they were incapable of being able to f you know, bring in the right staff, uh, bring in the you know, appropriate chiefs of staff, the appropriate um, executives inside the premier's office that needed to be there to lead the first New Democrat government in Alberta. Uh, they were aimless. Um, and that hurt them quite a bit in terms of their re-election prospects, of course, against Jason Kenney, who was a seasoned politician. And Jason Kenney came into Alberta uh, becoming, you know, coming in as, as the, the, the leader of the Progressive Conservative Party of Alberta, forming that merger between the Wild Rose and the PC Party of Alberta into the United Conservative Party. He came is you know, he... He came in, uh, you know, actually driving around the entire province in a blue pickup truck. People who know Jason Kenney, Jason Kenney is more attuned with, you know, being the kind of fine wine drinker and fine yeah. wine connoisseur, you know, having a nice glass of, of, uh, of Cap Sauvignon. 
versus you know putting on a cowboy hat and driving around the entire right, province right. in a and a blue pickup truck. Uh, it, it was the um, it was good imaging for him. It was good branding. It 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 helped him. You know coast to to a victory in terms of uniting the party but that's not who jason kenny is and the problem is that albeit that he was able to unite the party he was able to unite the parties rather into the the, the modern united conservative party the ucp he was not able to i think fulfill a lot of what his expectations expectations were from albertans i was gonna ask you what the hell went wrong because like you said jason kenny isn't just anyone uh i'm sure that people were probably begging for someone like this to come provincially and it's exactly what happened they got their wish uh and then suddenly things just went downhill i think that i mean covid threw a wrench into a lot of government's plans uh, but at the same time you can't when you compare alberta and it's difficult to do this but you compare alberta to a ontario with doug ford or quebec with Francois Legault. hey those two governments at least one of them uh for now uh, coasted to victory recently in the past uh, month and a half doug ford over yeah. in ontario Bigger majority than he had previously in 2018. Legault is on track with the current polls to do the same thing, and he will. Mm-hmm. Why has it seemed to? Why has it appeared that uh, Jason Kenney's government is is crumbling? Uh, you know, the, the cracks are really starting to surface and whatnot. It was internal division. It was internal division amongst the the members and amongst the riding associ- association presidents mm-hmm. um, uh, of the UCP co- constituencies across the province. It was the caucus. And boy, was this a caucus that did not know how to behave. Wow. Leaking things left, right, and center, which does happen. I mean, mm-hmm. we're, we're aware of that. It's something that, you know, you as a former staffer, yeah. I as a former staffer, we've seen occur. But the lack of loyalty from people that Jason Kenney brought into the fold, that's what really did him in um, from, from his caucus and from people around him. And, and staffers, too, unfortunately. And I may have my political differences with Jason Kenney and who he is, but I knew which government that I was joining when I went out west. And I have an immense amount of respect for who he is as a person yeah. and, and who he, he is as a premier for the next two months until a new uh, leader is, uh, is, is elected. Yeah, their, their, their leadership is uh, October 6th, somewhere around there, around early there, yeah. October. Yeah. Do you think that that has any that, that there's any effects there of him joining those two conservative parties where perhaps ideologically they weren't in tune and you still see that kind of rift happening? You're saying in Alberta? Yeah. I, mean, I you know the the those parties have merged, right? So the UCP is one formalized party now. There's only one real conservative party um in, in Alberta now. The only other party that sort of tried to get some traction, never took off, was the Wild Rose Independence Party, which is pushing mm-hmm. for hardcore Alberta sovereignty, very much like the Parti Québécois mm-hmm. uh, here at home. Um, didn't take off, wasn't really, didn't have enough financial backing, wasn't getting enough, um, just, wasn't just, wasn't taking off. Yeah. So do I, I, I see Jason Kenney um, calling it quits for now uh, on politics um, indefinitely? Maybe, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, I think he's definitely putting up his hat hanging it up and and he's uh, going to take some time off and then he'll uh, he'll do the regular uh you know sort of course that we see for politicians yeah. post a political career and go work at, at a Dentons or a McCarthy Tetro and work at a law firm or, or some strategic firm as a as a senior advisor and uh and bring in big money for them because he's still a big name and I think he's a yeah. name that's respected around the world right. for what he's done uh, back in the Harper cabinet and, and even for Alberta now in the past little while there might have been some ups and downs but again, that caucus that he brought in, and, and again, when I say brought in, he brought in a few people, but he didn't really, one thing that I'll fault him for is that Jason didn't um, build the team that he should have back when he was uh, forming, when he formed the UCP and was campaigning against Rachel Notley leading into the 2019 election. He didn't build the team that he had the opportunity opportunity to build. 
right. bringing in the star candidates, people that were close to him, loyal to him. He brought in individuals um, that, hey, I'm going to run. For, I want to run. I, I'm passionate about Alberta. Um, I may not be uh, totally in line with with somebody like Jason Kenney, who you know comes from from Ottawa and and spent most of his time in Ottawa. Didn't really spend all, a lot of time in Alberta when he was a, a member of Parliament or uh, a minister. Um, but you know what? Who really cares? I'll figure that out down the road. They were very. He was very much. Um, he wanted to let the grassroots take their place. Right. Well, the grassroots did, and it did him in, and and that's why he come two months from now he's not going to have a job. It, it, it's crazy how, you know, politics can just turn for the ugly, like in a matter of, like, I'm not going to say seconds, but in like in no time, you can be really like living the highest freaking life ever that you can possibly dream of. And then wake up to some bad news. That's just going to pummel you to the ground. Like a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's what you said. I mean, the pandemic affected every single province, right? The fact that it affected him more yeah. than any other premier, I mean, it does say something. Be Albertans are libertarians uh, at heart. Yeah. I'm not saying they're hardcore, but I'm saying that they enjoy, and as they should, enjoy their freedoms, enjoy yeah. their liberties. You know, freedom has become a very uh, touchy word these days, My right? goodness, so. yeah, yeah. But you know, you freedoms is something that we we would we would take for granted and we would cherish. You know, it would it wasn't an ugly word. Even the Canadian flag now ha, has become divisive. I have some friends of mine who have said uh, very bizarrely, like, "Yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about showing the Canadian flag anymore because I feel that's been taken on by the uh, by the truckers and and the convoy." Oh and, my God, and I say, man. "So you're going to give up the Canadian flag, the emblem that's known in, internationally yeah, yeah. and respected by the world, and you're just going to let it to." give it up to a, a bunch of individuals that you disagree with yeah. um, instead of fight for it and say, no, that's my flag. Like it is everybody, every Canadians. I'm going to, I may disagree with you. I'll politely disagree with you, but you're not taking my flag. That's the, mine. The, 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 the argument, uh, the rhetoric uh, and the stupidity that we've seen surface in the last probably three to four years, this wokeism that came, it appears from nowhere. It's troubling. It bothers me, man. Did you see the Sky News employee uh, over in the UK? It uh, just came out this week. Uh, that was paid by a UK tribunal $14,000 because her employer was apparently too woke. So this is, the, I, I feel, I feel that this is going to, this is going to come to Canada and, and maybe it's a good balance between what we've seen over the course of the past little while, because I do agree with you that the wokeism card hasn't played a little bit too often. And I think Canadians at large the population at large is getting tired of this. And they're saying this This is, it, it's not even a, a question. It's a, There's mutual respect on both sides. There needs to be a, a deeper understanding. $14,000 fine against Sky News, which uh, I believe is is the equivalent to Comcast um, in, in, the, uh, in the UK, or they're owned by Comcast. But in any case, Sky News uh, has to pay $14,000 after a, a diversity and inclusion advisor at Sky News went to an employee and said to her, well, you're a person of color, um, so you need to feel guilty. You need to feel as if you're a victim, and you need to be. You need to act as if you're a victim. <laughs> this is ridiculous. And the, the employees, excuse me, I, I don't, I don't seem to quite understand. The employee took off two days after that um, on, on sick leave because she was so distressed that somebody in the company said, "You have to play the role of a victim, or you're not doing your job as an employee because you're a person of color." And she went to her manager, told her manager exactly what happened. 
and essentially she filed this claim with the with this new uh, tribunal. It's yeah. an administrative tribunal in the UK. But I feel that you're going to be having more of these types of Stan it, standing up to walk. Yeah, and, and you might see it through through in for the employment law, and you might see it going through civil courts where you have them push employee employees pushing back from this type of type of shit. Um, because I can't stand it either. How, she she's somebody who she's the the advisor never asked about my upbringing, never asked about who I am as a person, never asked where my parents came from, my my background, who I am as a person. Just yeah. said, you are a different shade of color. Feel bad. You need to you need to act it. You need to act like a victim. You need to be that victim, and yeah. I want you. Yeah. And if you, if you we aren't, need to sell. We need we yeah. need to show yeah. that you're a victim. And if you don't, well, you're not a good employee for us. Jesus Christ! Isn't that insane? That's nuts. But I do see that kind of language in that in that type of uh, that sort of uh, thinking finding itself into the Canadian discourse yeah. and finding that with with because there are some institutions in Canada that are w going way past. Um, you know, certain obligations of inclusivity and diversity, mm -hmm. and it's becoming, uh, quite frankly, toxic to a certain extent. And it doesn't make any quite. It doesn't make any mm -hmm. sense. And it's it's really pushing. I think a lot of employees away from certain companies that are just. It's like no, there, there's of course we're 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 inclusive. Of course we need to be diverse. Of course we we need to celebrate things. But but to be told you need to act as if you're a victim because of your skin color. What madness. No, but there, there's a lot of things, man. I have friends that are working in other professional uh, sectors like engineering. And, and, you know, they're being told that, you know, in your interview process, you need to make sure that, you know, there's all these boxes that need to be checked. You know, uh, do you have a, a person of color, uh, Aboriginal? I don't know, like all of these, mm -hmm. all this criteria. And all they think of is we're engineers. It's like no fault. Like yeah. we need someone that is competent like extremely competent you know would you hire a heart surgeon based on this criteria or would you hire someone that knows what the fuck he's doing you, you know you think the quebec medicare system's bad now wait you ain't seen nothing <laughs> yeah, yet <laughs> no but no, uh, uh, you know like i don't i don't understand where the fuck we're situated anymore honestly I, i'm yeah. i'm, I'm uh, maybe it's just me having disconnected from that world of politics that we were so like you know, shoved into, uh, and, and we had to tow a certain line, and we had to watch what we said, and everything. Had and to and be. that's was, fine, and I get that. But it was so, it was to such a point where everything was so delicate, and every it was so boxed in, and I don't think it was that delicate back then, though. Mm -hmm. I don't think so. I mean, back then, like you hadn't. Well, we're only talking a few years. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Like, look, you mentioned the student uh, crisis yes. in 2011, 12, when you were covering it as a journalist. Something like that were to happen today. And maybe it's a question of leadership. I don't know what it is, but and, you know, obviously, we're talking hypothetically now. If something like that were to to happen today, I feel like instead of sticking to the facts and sticking to the line, like the Sharia government did, whether they were right or wrong, you know, people can judge on their own. But he had his arguments like, "Listen, I cannot go past this," yeah, and that's it. I feel like today it would be like. <gasps> Oh shit, we're in trouble. You know, like 10, 20, 30, 40,000 people on the streets. Yes, it's significant. I get it. But are you going to cave in because of a populist movement? Or are you going to stick your, to your guns and say, look, this is all we can give? At some point, we need to, to be responsible. And the argument I remember back in those years was that Quebec was or had one of the most generous scholarship programs 
in North America and bursary programs in North America. And I think it still is the case. I think we were beat by Newfoundland and Labrador for like a few consecutive years and okay. then went back to Quebec. So you're right. No, no, it is Quebec in terms of having the most generous post-secondary um, bursaries, subsidies uh, across the board. And it's accessible for everybody and anybody. Yeah. And and as long as you have the grades to be able to to get into the institutions. But at the end of the day, I, I can see the argument if this was happening today, 10 years later, and Jean Charest was prime minister, it was premier of Quebec. Uh, you know, somebody would accuse him of systemic racism because he's, you know, not... Yeah, not, it just not, goes straight to that, but say It's systemic racism because, you know, he's he's uh, taking away... Yeah, the insensitive ability, to the student population. Insensitive or, people of color, and he's a racist, and he would have to resign. And and that's that would be it, right? <laughs> hey, you get rid of somebody a lot quicker when you start calling them a racist or, yeah, yeah. you know, the, things of this nature start coming out. You start using that type of rhetoric. And how, as a public official, how do you defend yourself against that, right? You, 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 you can't. can't. You can't. This is the new world. Welcome to it. I'm not sure I'm liking it too much. Let me tell you something. When I started politics in 2007, it was still respectable, but I felt almost within a year or two that it was kind of, yeah. mm, you know? And I remember an article that came out, I think it was, I think it was in Jean de Montréal, where they had rated um, the, the worst jobs or professions based on popular opinion, right? Right. And a politician was honestly right before like a used car salesman or something, <laughs> like, something like that, you know? Hey, used car salesmen are doing pretty no, well no, these nothing, days. Nothing wrong about no, that. No, I'm saying with, with, with the current car situation. <laughs> you know, look, uh, it's a job like any other and good on you if, you if you're enjoying it. But I mean, and keep in mind, this is in people's perspective, yeah. right? They took a poll and it, we were just so low, like zero respect, yeah. like to the point where you're a politician, you get, you know, you get, you get, you get spit on kind of thing, you know? And, and then you ask yourself, well, why don't people want to go into politics? Why don't, why don't people who have never been involved before, why would they throw their hat into the ring? Yeah. And they don't. Mm. And we lose out on so many good people. But you know, the thing is, man, I'm noticing uh, this change in culture. And it's funny because I was talking to a, a friend uh, he's uh, he's in the conservative party, and we're going to talk about the leadership race in the conservative party. Yes, that's, uh, that's interesting. And he's telling me, he goes, George, man, I don't know what's going on, but in the younger demographic, the eighteen to thirty-five, there is a shift yeah. to the right, and it's taken everyone by surprise. I still can't believe it, but he's seeing it. I mean, he's much more active because he's involved in the leadership campaign. And I'm telling him, dude, are you are, are you sure? He goes, I. Do not know how to explain it. I'm just telling you what I see, what I witness. People just taking memberships on their own. Like we're not calling, nothing. They're just seeing numbers piling up. And it's the 18 to 35 demographic. But, but this is what somebody's saying to you from what, their observations on the ground. Yeah. Public opinion polls from Leger, from Main Street are saying the same thing. Which is, yeah, which is fascinating. Because the younger demographic has always been like this kind of loose entity, like just bouncing around more often than not to the left. Mm -hmm. I would, I would, you mean, I would. is there a possibility that they may have been taken for granted by the left? They may have been taken for granted by the NDP and the liberals for years and years. And our younger people are getting a little bit aware of, of this taking advantage of, I'm know. shocked, George. I really yeah. am. I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if they became aware of themselves being taken for granted or if they were taken for granted. Maybe they were. I mean, look, I, I, I've all I, and I, I've said it. We've taken certain um, demographics for granted because of, of, it's all strategy. It's all numbers. When you're running a campaign, it comes down to numbers. You want to be the most 
efficient possible. So you grab them, you group them. You're like, okay, these are ours, these are ours, let's go. So you got to right. kind of paint a picture very quickly so you can know where you're going. You only have 30 days. People don't realize that 30 days passes really quickly in the campaign. Uh, and I, I, I've admitted it, I have. Um, but that was back at a time when we knew that that vote was ours. Now... Yeah. And this, I, I tell a lot of the um, a lot of the people now at the party and the people that call for advice and stuff like that. I'm like, listen, you're dealing with a demographic that back in our days, you're calling George for advice. Yeah, what are they calling? thinking? What are you doing, guys? No, but guys. but 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 yeah, but back in the day, like you're dealing now with a demographic that is of age to vote, and back in the day they weren't; they were kids. Yeah. So for us, it wasn't even a thought. So we didn't have to think about what these kids are going to be voting. Mm -hmm. We weren't even there yet. Now it's a different story. And especially in the ethnic communities, I've noticed because I'm very much involved in the ethnic communities. And I'm and I'm seeing that because your grandfather and your father were like I mean, we can say this. I mean, the ethnic groups were traditionally liberal, of course. provincially, probably even federally. And and uh, you know, and at the same time though, when you're you're talking about ethnic groups that came out uh, newcomers to Canada who uh, you know, they may have come here under the reign of Pierre, uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau yeah, or a yeah. liberal prime minister. Yeah, we're talking about the 60s, yeah. 70s, let's say around right. that, that time. Right. So these people, they were they, 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 they had signed their life over to the liberal party. Uh, maybe the generation after them as well. But the one after, they are not necessarily following in that in, in those footsteps. And especially in the rest of Canada. In the rest of Canada, I would say outside of Quebec. And the, and the, re the reason why I, I asked the question, oh, well, under which prime minister, mm -hmm. under which party, was that if you ask a lot of newcomers to Canada, uh, a lot of families, you know, who they support, well, they'll say usually the party that was in power when they got their citizenship right. or when they came to Canada, right. because they remember a Jason Kenney as Minister of Multiculturalism and Citizenship, either being at an event or thanking them or doing a video and Prime right. Minister Harper you know, show, doing, a, doing a video presentation, they remember that and that's significant for them. Same thing back in the 60s and mm -hmm. 70s when mm -hmm. it was under a liberal uh, prime ministership as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So keep that in mind. No, for sure. So that's what uh, I've come to understand. Uh, I just didn't know what side they voted, but I had heard so many things on the ground. Um, what was the election that followed ours in 2018? There was a federal election, I believe. Yeah, in 19? In, 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 that I ran in. In, in 19, yeah. that's right. So and, and lost. It, and, no, it's okay. <laughs> I'm sure it was a great experience, just like I did, like, just like my experience. In you came a little closer. Yeah. So, but I knew what I was getting into. But it's fine. So that campaign, and then the the subsequent one in last year, 2021, mm -hmm. I got so much feedback from the ground to the effect that the younger generations are no longer following that pattern that we had them mm -hmm. grouped in you know and the, and the thing is too is at the same as much as we want to say this and, and how interesting it is to go into younger demographics people that are you know 55 plus are still still voting early they're still voting often sometimes they vote twice no that's not true <laughs> um but uh it, well if they do that's illegal that's a problem uh hello elections canada but in any case the um it, it's it's interesting to see that in terms of a demographic demographic thing but at the same at the same time when we look at the breakdown of who's voting you know, uh, polls, polling by poll station by poll station, it's still older people that are going out to vote. Primarily, yes. Yes, but the young people that are voting can no longer, we can no longer say it's just liberal, just NDP, just, you know, these social democratic parties like the Bloc Québécois, let's say in Quebec, mm -hmm. um, you know, which the Bloc Québécois is still popular to a certain degree across Quebec. Um, they still have a very good portion of seats, but at the same time, do I see it being, uh, you know, 
I'm just saying that I, I don't, uh, as much as we're seeing an uprising of younger voters, we're not seeing them vote out, vote more often, um, pers- vote poll, yeah, poll, yeah. poll by poll, we're seeing them just vote differently. I'm curious to see this time around what will happen, honestly. And I'm going back to, 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 to this friend at the Conservative Party who was right. telling me. This insider, this friend at the Conservative Party. Yeah. Deep insider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know who he is. But, deep, um, deep throat. <laughs> uh, so he's telling me that he's never witnessed anything like this. And the mobilization and this probably wasn't born like <laughs> during the harper era no. no 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 he's never seen anything he's like oh my god no no, no he's, he's, he's been around for a very long I'm time joking. and he, he's telling me that you know there's this wave that no one f- could see coming no and like it's there well you're talking are you talking about, about pierre in terms of what he's doing in yeah. terms of pierre so, so let's get into this you know the we're 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 closing in uh, on on the early September. Uh, September tenth is going to be the uh, voting day for, um, or at least voting day. It's the the unofficial, uh, the official unveiling of the next conservative leader. And you know, everybody thought this was going to be a fight between Pierre Poliev, Jean Charest, down to, down to the the last knife knife wound. Doesn't seem that way. Pierre's walking. Run, Pierre's running away with this. Mm. And and I I saw this happening. I called this um, a few months back. Um, even when at the beginning of the leadership race, I knew, and as much as I respect Jean Charest as, as an individual, mm-hmm. as a person, somebody who unfortunately does have uh, a dark cloud uh, over him, and and I don't and need I see, see need I say why? No, people know his history, and people know some of the accusations that have been put against him. Mm-hmm. He's been cleared of a lot of those accusations. That black cloud still follows him around, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And uh, I and and at this, and that's not even bringing into account the fact that Jean Charest is not the same conservative he's 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 a conservative of a of a different party a party that no longer exists and and that was the pc party of brian mulrooney um you know some would say the pc party of peter mckay afterwards that was the jean charez that was jean charez conservative party it's no longer the case and that has changed when stephen harper came out and i don't think this had to happen when stephen harper came out and said i am encouraging my supporters i am encouraging all conservatives to vote for pierre Poliev. Uh, just in the last two weeks. Um, do I think that Stephen Harper needed to do that? No. That's it's mysterious, though, because you don't you don't traditionally see a former, former leader, leaders former and prime, prime minister. ministers uh, take a position actively like that. I think somebody inside of Pierre's campaign saw a, a poll they didn't like. And mm-hmm. I think they saw a poll they didn't like say, mm, we better not take any chances. I also know from the get-go of the campaign, from the time that, and this is not Pierre's doing, in terms of him running, but this is because of when, when Charest got into the campaign. I know that when Charest got into the campaign, conversations were had within days of Charest's announcement, uh, even before his announcement, with Prime Minister Harper, and Prime Minister Harper agreed that if things got a little bit close, that he'd happily endorse Pierre. Mm-hmm. And this was an was an open secret on the Pierre and Pierre's campaign. So you um, think it's closer than we're told? I think some. I don't think it's that close. Mm-hmm. I think somebody got scared. They saw a poll that they didn't like yeah. that showed it being getting not not close, but it's getting maybe a little bit too close for comfort. And we're not going to take any chances. Yeah. And, but do it's I? It's hard to believe though with the numbers that we're right. seeing. And I and that's why I don't think it was really a big concern. I don't right. think Stephen Harper needed to do that. I think somebody in Pierre's campaign or Pierre himself yeah. asked and said, "Okay, you know what? We're Just a little guarantee. We're going to cash in on yeah. that on that promise. Thank you, Prime Minister. But uh, did they need to do it? No. Um, and and it, even in in the early polling that we've seen since that you know that announcement two weeks ago, did they need? Did has it changed anything? No. Yeah. It hasn't changed a thing. Yeah. 
Pierre, Pierre's still running away with this. It's it's still the same polar. So, so so yeah. So to, to go back to to, to to this conversation I was having, I mean the the the, the success they're seeing, the numbers they're seeing. Uh, obviously, nobody expected it. Right. Uh, and when you're seeing figures come out publicly to the effect that, you know, in in, in the second quarter alone they raised over five million dollars, which is more than any other candidate combined, that definitely puts fear in, in, in this in, is more than what Aaron O'Toole was able to yeah, yeah. raise throughout his entire time <laughs> as leader of the conservative and the, and party. And this guy got it in the second quarter of 2022. It, yeah. It's 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 ridiculous. Yeah. So, yeah, there is a wave. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot of enthusiasm and it's 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 insane the amounts of people that are just mobilizing to support this kid. Um Oh, this kid. I mean, whatever. Uh, He's a young an guy. Established He's individual. I mean, Pierre's a you know a minister was a former minister under Pierre yeah. uh, under Harp under Pierre Pierre's uh, prime ministership under Stephen Harper's prime ministership yeah. and you know, may, maybe he'll be prime minister one day. He's running for prime minister, but do I? You know, Pierre's a very smart guy. Yeah, he's as somebody who's who's been able to have the uh, fortunate fortunate chance of being able to meet with them, um, in in fairly um, you know small settings. Uh, he he's a, he's a strong communicator. He's somebody with a very strong comms background. Yeah. He knows how to message effectively, and he's able to close th- that um, that sort of separation gap with voters in terms of them not being able to click with the message. Uh, and he knows where he's going to be effective at hitting um, a broad base of Canadians. So when we talk about Canadians going through difficult times because of inflation. He knows how to point that to mm-hmm. point the point the blame at the prime minister and say, yeah. "This is happening because you keep on voting for this guy. Yeah. You're voting for this guy time and time again. He's giving you the same results, and look where we are now. It's ten times worse than it was the last time right. around." Yeah, no, he's uh, he's uh, he's a very effective communicator indeed. Um, but uh, you know, the questions that I'm hearing is is to the effect, you know, is he going to be able to bridge the gap within the conservative party that Harper managed to bring together, right? Which O'Toole completely messed up. Oh, goodness. Um, and is he going to be able to do that? Because the feeling I get is that Pierre Poilievre is, is a, you know, he, he's, he's very, you know, liberal in terms of the social aspect, yeah. right? like socially liberal. Um, but, Maybe he's playing it different to get the support from out west. I don't know, but because that's the mistake that O'Toole uh, made, frankly. Yeah. So I, I don't know. That's the only thing that to me is a little blurry. Uh, I, I don't know where to situate him. Aaron Aaron made a bad bet on that, and the way that he steered the campaign far to the left, way way more left than anybody expected during the twenty one campaign. I think that Pierre's biggest problem right now is with the demographic of women voters, primarily in the GTA, that are around the age of between 39 to 41, uh, the soccer mom class. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where we're going to have some difficulty tapping into, and that he needs to focus on that. And his team, his team knows that. They, they've seen the numbers, that, that he's failing with that, that demographic right there. Female voters look at Pierre and they say, I don't like you. I see you, and <laughs> I see I it's see Donald look. Trump. Yeah. I see I see Trumpian politics. I think freedom truckers. I think which again, like I think that you know Pierre dabbled in that at the, during the campaign. Yeah, he took a chance. Many people advise him not to. Mm. A lot of people, um, but he did. He took that risk. It paid off uh, to a certain extent with uh, a certain demographic of those freedom loving. Um, and again, I, I don't say this in, in a in a negative context. I'm I. I may disagree with a lot of these individuals, with these Canadians. 
when it comes to the balance between um, you know minor the rights of the minority and the rights of the majority. But I, I think that he was able to garner a lot of support amongst those uh, amongst the people that were protesting on the hill, amongst the people that were following them and supporting them across yeah, the Canada. whole ecosystem. Yeah. But I think that he lost also a huge wedge of of voters in the GTA mm-hmm. who looked at that and said, "I I just I can't buy into." Isn't that right where now. he gets elected? That's the GTA. Yeah. Uh, That's where his writing is, right? So the the way that it's it, it, the way that it works is that GTA decides which who decides who's going to be prime minister decides which party is going to be winning the plurality of votes mm-hmm. um and and quebec basically decides whether or not it's a minority or majority mm-hmm. if you win the gta you're good to go in terms of forming government if you lose quebec you're going to have a minority and you're going to have to figure out a deal with other other parties mm-hmm. so it's a, a supply um supply and command deal um so in any case, I, I think that's the biggest uh, problem he's going to have right now. I think also in terms of uniting the because, because the whole premise of, of the party, the, the the conservative party, is very much based off of uh, the United Conservative Party, mm-hmm. bringing um, you know a progressive conservative wing and a reform wing, wing so a more right wing, yeah, together. And and this was the compromise. Both sides knew that there was no way for them to win without the other, and that's why it was so important for them to get the deal right. Mm-hmm. I feel now that Pierre and his campaign have pissed off a lot of people that were the Jean Charette types or the types who were willing to sit this one out. Those that were very dedicated to Stephen Harper, but said, you know what? I'm not enthused by Pierre. I'm not enthused by Jean Charest. Not really enthused by anybody. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stick this one out. Yeah. And they are just so disconnected by what they're seeing throughout this campaign. A lot of fodder has been given to the Liberal Party. A lot of fodder has been given to a lot of other uh, political parties um, and Pierre's opponents, conservative opponents, uh, for them to use in the next campaign. We're still three years away from that because of the supply and command deal that the NDP has. I don't think it's going to last that long. I don't. We just saw today a dental care, right? Jagmeet Singh coming out and saying to Trudeau, if we don't have a deal by the year's end when it comes to dental care, we're out. We're not doing this. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be the end of the year. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I have a feeling, and I had it for a while, uh, especially since the last the results of you know the last campaign in twenty twenty one, that Justin Trudeau would not be running uh, the next campaign as leader of the Liberals. Uh, to me, I I, I I could be wrong. I mean, I don't know. About, you know I don't know all the secrets there, but right. um, the way I'm seeing it's, it, it's the haircut, George. It's the, it's the haircut. <laughs> it just just so when he grew his that? beard, we knew something was up, right? Don't you find that crazy? How there's like 17 articles that come out the moment that he either grows a beard, shaves the beard, gr- cuts his hair, you grows it back. You think it's done on purpose to divert? Uh, oh my God! Distraction yeah. of the week. Yeah. Like yeah. like the, it, it's literally like dozens of articles come out like just like Vogue magazine, Justin Trudeau. What do you think of the new look? You know, co- v- vote online here today. It's like the dumb and dumber memes, however, were fucking hilarious. <laughs> they were hilarious. Hey, those were pretty good. I'm not gonna so lie. Good. That was good. But uh, yeah, I, I ne- from from the time those elections uh, were done, and when we got the results, and it was essentially the same numbers, I, I I thought to myself, "There's no fucking way this guy's gonna run the next campaign." The the right now, if you look at it um, from a, a statistical, uh, the statistical advantages of the conservatives favor right now with an with no named successor to Aaron O'Toole with no successor right now versus Justin Trudeau. If you look at it from the latest Leger polls, I think the conservatives are up by five, maybe even 6%. Mm-hmm. It's a huge margin right there. Can they maintain it during election campaign? That's the real question. Yeah. Can they maintain that momentum all the way? Maybe it won't be uh, three years from now, but even two years or a year and a half. That's right. a long time of politics. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, nobody could understand that deal with the NDP 
in my mind, uh, and again, I could be completely off here, but for me, I just saw this as a great opportunity for them to buy time. You know, uh, maybe he knows he's stepping down. Maybe he needs time for his party to renew and to get the new leader or whatever it is. Let's make it to 2025. We need a deal. We need to buy time. I need to, I need to at least secure my party. Um, uh, but, but a sound leadership race. But it's not a sound leadership race to, to what end? I mean, what, 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 who do they have as a credible and a viable candidate yeah, that, afterwards that, for? Yeah, that's a different story. No, but that, I mean, that, you, that. you look at, let's, let's run it down. Uh, you have Christian Freeland. She's who, definitely going to run. I think uh, Francois-Philippe Champagne is probably going to take a stab at it. Uh, a lot of people seem to be suggesting Mark Carney, mm -hmm. uh, who really is in charge of the finance department. I don't think uh, Freeland uh, pretty much touches anything. I, I, he's, he's the real Wizard of Oz yeah. behind the veil. <laughs> That's how I like yeah, to put yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know. I don't know who's who. Who else is there? Like in in people, Ontario, people are are still well. Just in Quebec, people are still pushing for Melanie Jolie to put her her. Oh hand my right. fucking! And Lord. if you could not find a more incompetent and insufferable minister of foreign affairs, um, somebody who just doesn't today, oh. she she's a. Uh, Put, I, I don't know who's running her comms, but man, was it bad. They put out a tweet basically of her in a, being chauffeured around in a, in a ministerial vehicle in Winnipeg. And she's writing, writing something down. Oh, her, I saw you that. Saw yeah, this. Yeah, she's she's writing, writing yeah. something down in her notepad. And the tweet says, you know, I'm going from uh, city to city. You know, and today I'm in Winnipeg to explain to people, you know, the difficulties of foreign affairs and just just so childish and, and just really like treating Canadians as if they're really stupid. And she came uh, under fire with that whole turbine thing uh, that yeah. um, they, they sending the turbine back to the, the Germany. The, the, the exemption the, the, that yeah. they put on the <laughs> it's it's complete amateurism. That's what that's what it is. And then there's the other news that came out when uh, when the conflict started. They they let the, the employees of the Canadian embassy there figure things out on their own. Yeah. Like fuck, we're not going to no, no support, no support. Good luck. And the embassy hasn't reopened. Yeah, I saw it. that article too. Yeah. The guy went, Justin Trudeau went down for a nice photo op in May. It's disgusting. But the the it's the the opportunity the opportunism that we're seeing from. The, I mean, it's nothing. It's disgusting, but it's nothing new. I mean, it's the same thing that I saw when he was first elected in 2015. That you saw mm -hmm. that you know I've seen going into 2019. That we saw in the 21 election. That we've. And this is why I say to people, it's like you, you voted for him. This is this is it's it's yeah. what happened. I mean, and and people have buyer's remorse. Some learned it after the 15 election, some learned it after 19, some people still haven't learned it. But my point being is that I think it, every prime minister has an expiration date. And the I other think his, I think his is, his, is, is around nigh. the corner. It is nigh. And, and I think that on top of that, no prime minister has been able to weather inflation to this extent and win re-election. Mm. Or sorry, rather, not weather uh, inflation and win, win re-election. If he's not able to take control of inflation in Canada. If he's if if the Bank of Canada can't do that, the Bank of Canada no one's going to look at Tiff Macklem, the 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 governor of the Bank of Canada and say, "Oh, screw you, Tiff. You're to blame here." They're going to look at Justin Trudeau and yeah. say, "Hey, you're the one. You're the person I'm going to blame because I'm I'm sky high in credit card debt. I'm I'm having difficulty paying my mortgage." Uh, they're going to use that against against Justin Trudeau. An interesting fact too. Do you know that Canadians, the one thing that Canadians are ingrained in um, and and Banks have done surveys on this, have done studies on this. The, the last thing that, that a Canadian will 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 pay, will not pay rather, what what they will always pay on time is their mortgage yeah. payment. Mm -hmm. There there is a certain shame that goes into not being able to make your mortgage payment that right. that Canadians have been instilled with since birth. 
And the reason I bring it up is because uh, I feel that what we're seeing right now are really pushing Canadians to to the edge when it comes to increased interest rates um, from the Bank of Canada. Uh, the which is let's be frank, who do we blame for this? We blame the spending that happened over the course of the past few years. Mm-hmm. During COVID, we spent way too much. Most Western countries spent way too much. Canada is one of the worst offenders, if not the worst offender per capita for what happened. And we have found ourselves with way too much money in supply in the, in, 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 uh, out in the market. And, and we are trying to fend off inflation as fast as possible by raising the, the interest rate, um, the le taux directeur. It's, I, I don't know if it's going to work. We don't know if it's going to work. They're going to have to, it's going to go way up and it's going to have to continue going way up for it to actually have an effect in terms of stabilizing inflation if they're able to do that. But at the end of the day, the real victim of this um, is Canadians by Mm -hmm. and large because they're going to have to face the brunt of this and the collateral is going to be Justin Trudeau's prime ministership. I I don't know. Look, I don't know. Nobody knows what's going to happen. I just feel like lately it's just been one huge effort in collecting, you know, the positive you know, announcements and press release and the press conferences. And it's just a sign that I'm collecting the good news. I want to leave on a high or perceived or whatever is perceived as a high. Uh, And then just good luck, right? I I would be completely shocked if Justin Trudeau would run in the next campaign. It's madness. The the question, though, is if it's not, maybe it's one of the ones that we mentioned here, but but, but if it's not Justin Trudeau, how are they able to rebuild the party? Because because the party when when the when 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 Justin Trudeau became leader back in thirteen it was twenty thirteen uh, he became leader twelve thirteen yeah somewhere there yeah. twelve thirteen around yeah, yeah. then they took down the Liberal Party of Canada brick by brick by brick and then they rebuilt it in the image of Justin Trudeau at his will at his command and that is a very difficult thing in terms of branding and how you market to Canadian Canadian oh, yeah, voters because what comes next everyone what, is so like. But the party has become him, mm-hmm. and he has become synonymous with the party. Mm. How do you change? How do you prepare the party for the next leader? I don't know if you're able to do that without losing. Oh no, no, I I, I agree with you one hundred percent. They're going to have a hard time finding a leader because they're so in love with this guy who came in as a savior, and maybe he did good to the party because the party was in rambles. I mean, like they they they, they had lost everything, yeah. and they needed a guy of that image, of that notoriety, of that fame, or whatever you want to call it, to boost the party. And uh, honestly, in terms of branding and vision, I think they did a very good job. The, the it was member, very effective. Super. Like in, in terms, terms of, of the, executing any policy, it was terrible. Forget about that. We're talking about the party and the branding and you know whatever comes along with that. They did a fantastic job. And like you say, everyone is so focused on exactly that him being the party and the party being him right to the point where i feel that if this guy because eventually he's gonna have to leave they're gonna have a hard time because everyone that's gonna want to follow they're gonna be measuring that person to justin trudeau but they're they're banking on pure party of being a disaster which is it and if they're banking on that they're they're gonna lose really badly because they're they're this is the kind of person that they think that the the average liberal voter the average liberal um, looking at Pierre Polyev right now is looking at him, and this is what they're hoping to convince other people across Canada of: is that Pierre Polyev's a homophobe. Uh, Pierre Polyev, mm. uh, you know, was against women's rights. Uh, he's against immigrants. He's a whereas on the con- on the contrary, Pierre Polyev is for higher immigration numbers than we have right now. 
He wants to be able to uh, recognize the certification of doctors and people with specialized degrees uh, quicker, mm-hmm. uh, work with the provinces in terms of achieving that because the provinces have not been able to deliver on that. You know yeah. that as well as I yeah. do. Um, he is is he is pro-choice. Um, and Pierre Polio on top of that is a pro LGBTQ community. Um, you know, it's 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 out there. It's not not, not a secret. Pierre's father is gay, and Pierre's father has a has a partner who's a, who's a you know they're they're a gay couple. He has nothing but love and admiration for his father. Yeah, uh, obviously. And I just think that for anybody to to think that the, he's some sort of a uh, this sort of Trumpian uh, demagogue uh, is, is just utterly ridiculous because you, you he's... Know he tr- you, uh, sorry to interrupt you, man, but no, no. It, it sucks that at every federal campaign... This comes up, Gay right? rights comes, comes up, back yeah. to the to the forefront. And this is it just it's so stupid, right? It doesn't make any sense yeah. because we've gone way past that. The two two of the most prominent members of the Conservative Party, um, current members of, of caucus, uh, Eric Duncan from Stormont uh, Dundas, North Glengarry, which is Cornwall. Well, Cornwall and the surrounding mm-hmm. areas. Er- Eric will kill me if he hears that. Um, and Melissa Lansman uh-huh. from uh, from Toronto, uh, th- both very significant members uh, of the of the party elected to the legislature uh, to the House of Commons, gay, um, and supporting Pierre Polyev, mm-hmm. and and for these are the, the two open openly gay members of, of caucus, right. and they're both backing Pierre. I think that those two members there, if they had an issue with Pierre on LGBTQ issues, I think they would have addressed that. Yeah. And maybe they wouldn't be, and maybe they wouldn't be supporting here in that case. Let, let, let me tell you something, because I know people, uh, sworn federal liberals, that have joined and help uh, that are currently helping Jean Charest. Of course, because they just don't want Poliev to win. And, and but isn't a stupid reason to join? But I, I, you you have no. It took, invest- and believe it, believe it or not, it took me like minutes to do the calculation when I heard those names. Uh, you know, running to support Jean Charest, I was like thinking, wait, wait, are they against Justin Trudeau because of the fuck ups he's been doing? And they just want, like, I, I just couldn't piece it together. They would probably still like, vote for Trudeau even if Charest was leaving. <laughs> That's the worst part. Yeah. But isn't that insane? That that you and I'm all all for for making the base of a part of the Conservative Party bigger. But you you have you're actively joining a political party to stop another candidacy. You're mm-hmm. not joining because you you agree with the values. You you're not joining because him. you 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 truly believe in Jean Charest. No, you hate Pierre Polyev that much. And I and I get it. It's strategic for some parties to do this. I understand that it's been has happened for 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 decades. But I mean, like, have have you no values? Have you no morals? I, 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 and, and I just, I, it boggles my mind that people would go down that path. And yet it does happen. Yes. Look, I, I don't, I don't know, man. There's, there's a lot of moving parts federally. Uh, one thing's for sure. It has waken up a lot of people who had zero interest. Yeah. Like zero, like it was non-existent when you spoke to them about politics, either they wanted nothing to do with it or they knew nothing about it. They were completely ignorant or unaware or just zero. Like but, it didn't exist. There's a huge part of the population that was in that category that has awakened. But, but when you, when, this is why I always bring it back to economic issues because I feel that economic issues are, somebody's going to go to the poll. I think generally speaking, Canadians will go to the polls because of economic financial issues mm-hmm. more so because, than um, 
you know, because they they want to they want to make sure they get a, a woke member of parliament, right? Yeah. A social issue like that is not going to necessarily push somebody to polls unless we're talking about abortion rights or we're yeah. talking about somebody saying something egregious. The economy for sure, but, but I don't think. But affordability, even that beyond that, affordability. I well, think I think honestly, COVID had a lot to do with it. The fact that you, oh, people were trapped at home and they were they were uh, going down. I uh, think that yeah, for a lot of people, woke them. They up were going down the rabbit the hole. Fuck are you to tell me what to they were do go, they were going down the rabbit hole, and this is what they found. Yeah. Maybe it's a good thing. Look, you know, we, we, we've both been in politics. The more people that participate, the better. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, I, 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 you know, I spent so many years trying to get people active and, in, and involved and regardless of, you know, whatever party you want to support. And we always had a problem with that. We always had an issue getting especially the younger people involved and waking them yeah. up and saying, listen, you're at an age now where you're going to start your life in a couple of years and there's issues here that are going to affect you and you need to participate. Well, you need to get active. But you say well, there, there's issues here that you need to be effective and participate in. What if those issues, what if one of those issues never becomes an issue for you? Because the issue of affordability of being able to own your house one day mm -hmm. evaporates because you won't. Yeah. And, and, and very quickly you learn that, oh, I'm disenfranchised compared to my parents, compared to my grandparents, and so on and so forth. At, wasn't I promised when I came here to Canada that I would be able to yeah. build a future for myself, own my own home, be able to, 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 to prosper and to thrive, and now that's being taken away from me? That's a pretty egregious thing, I would yeah. say, and that's scary. And I think that's why you're seeing more and more young people that were there where they thought they would have the, the the opportunity to own their own condo, to own their own house, to build their own family. It's, oh, it's quickly it's slipping quickly, away. It's gone. And and this and then for people that do own their own home and do and are paying a mortgage, they're quickly seeing on top of that that okay, I'm I'm here, I've gotten it, but my mortgage, my I, I went to go refinance and I'm paying x thousands of dollars more, or yeah. let's say hundreds hundreds to some thousands of dollars more for my uh, for my monthly payments, and um, or I'm not able to qualify for a house. Um, I can't qualify for for that HELOC. I can't qualify for my 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 ho my home is not worth what it used to be worth because we are seeing. Now, maybe it wasn't the case. And again, it's, you should never compare the housing market to the stock market. People mm -hmm. need houses. People don't need stocks. Yeah. But a lot of people over the course of the past two, three years played it. And even before that, they played the bubble and they played it like the stock market. And now they found themselves in a situation where they're way over their heads. Yeah. Um, they're way, they, they have way over leveraged themselves. And they couldn't afford what they were what they were trying so desperately to afford, and now they now they understand that their house is is worth much less um, than what they they paid for it, and that's only in the course of you think from the peak of housing prices in Canada were maybe around January February of uh, of this year, mm -hmm. and now we've seen in some in King King County King a uh, King Township rather in um, just north of Toronto. Um, Stephen, Le I, I've, I've done some campaigning there because my good friend Stephen Lecce, the Minister of Education in Ontario, he represents King Vaughan. Uh, beautiful houses over in King. The report from this week, uh, from the peak of February 2020 to June 2020, in some instances, down from 40 to 50% wow. price reduction right. for some of the houses over there. Now, that's broad, right? That's a broad average of, of reduction. But geez, if that's not telling you something, I mean, there's a lot of buyers over there that bought in King, in Brampton, in Vaughan, that are ripping their hair right now because they know that they have lost a lot of money already. Oh, shit. You know the funny thing, uh, and, and we're going to move to the provincial side too because there's a, there's a lot of stuff happening there. Uh as soon as the federal campaign started, uh, and actually as soon as Sharep, you know, threw his name in uh, in the race, my phone exploded. 
my phone exploded, and these were provincial liberals now. Yes. That had jumped onto the campaign to help Sharae because they were so enthused that he came back mm. into politics. And I get it. I was also there and I was excited. I started politics under his leadership. I, I always felt that he was probably one of the best leaders. One uh, of the best speakers, one of the best orators. You know, obviously, wasn't perfect. There's a lot of mistakes that happened, but um, super inspiring in terms of, you know, as, as a political figure, at least right. from, you know, the way I see it. And you had all these people now provincial liberals that jumped on the bandwagon there to help him out. And, and then I find out that at a provincial level, mm -hmm. the party was banking on getting all, maybe not all the old timers, but all these former people that were involved and had some sort of experience. They wanted to bring him back so they can help the provincial liberal party win the next election. <laughs> and they got so fucking screwed because all these people <laughs> are helping out at the federal um, uh, uh, race. And that race ends in the beginning of September and the provincial election will have started by then. Well, at the end of the day, you're just going to have a lot of very unhappy liberal voters either helping Jean Charest when he loses or yeah. when the POQ loses the next election. Jean Charest is a force to be reckoned with. Um, maybe he has gone a little bit past his expiration date in terms of his viability as, as an elected official. I still think that he was one of, he is, in my books, Captain Canada. Yeah. He is, in my books, the person who did, to a certain extent, save Quebec mm -hmm. from separation. Um, you recall, you know, before my time, uh, you know, the uh, the crowds at Dorchester Square, uh, the giant Canadian flag, uh, the photos of that are just, it's incredible mm. to look back in yeah. history like that. But, you know, my parents were there, my grandparents were there, my family was there. So that's significant for me. And Jean Charest played such a big role in terms of fighting um, independence, mm -hmm. uh, fighting against independence in, in Quebec and fighting to ensure that Quebec was part of Canada and remains part of Canada. But I think that everybody needs to know when to tap out. And I don't think, I think that Jean Charest has some, unfortunately, some very poor advisors around him and some very poor friends around him. And what I mean by that is um, Jean Charest, a lot of people, like Jean Charest and a lot of people, and Jean Charest has let a lot of people into his circle. And I think there's a it's a it's 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 about time that uh, Jean Charest starts cutting people off mm -hmm. because I think these people are giving him bad advice. Mm -hmm. I think this these this is the lobbyist class. Right. These are this is the the corporate Canada as I call it, um, and they rely on government contracts. They rely on uh, knowing a prime minister or knowing the right people inside of a government to get these contracts. Um, and Jean was probably there for them at a certain time, if you know. He was in the premier's office. They called Jean. Jean would pick up. Or Jean would get back to them mm -hmm. at least. And he would help them out. And they were banking on two things. At least one of those two, one of those things happening for sure. And maybe if best case scenario, both of those things happening. The first was Jean Charest winning uh, the leadership race or at least running to win a leadership race so they can get a polling contract. Mm -hmm. They can get a communications contract. Mm -hmm. They can get a few contracts in there. Hey, it's nice that we're he, he's raising a bit of money for the Conservative Party, and we've got some bills that he can pay for us too. Right. And the second thing they were banking on was him winning the leadership race, continuing on with those contracts, and then well, they come to that cam, him getting to the Prime Minister's office. And boy, does the gravy trough open there then. Mm -hmm. And that's what I really think. There was a lot of people around him that were pushing, saying, Jean, you can go for it. You can win it. Forget about Pierre Poitiev. You're going to wipe the, wipe him clean. Not the same party. And I've heard that from a lot of people, George. I, I, I know that there was a lot of pressure from the Quebec caucus because most of them, I'm not, not all of them, because I think one or two is, is, uh, are supporting uh, Poitiev. Yes. But I know that the majority of the Quebec mm -hmm. caucus can't stand him. 
Poilievre. And oh, they're, they're supporting their homeboy. They're supporting Charest. And, and Dominic, Dominic Vien, a former minister who's well, now a conservative MP. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, she's going to help her former boss. I yeah. mean, that makes total sense. But the, there was a lot of pressure, uh, and they, they, they pushed him a lot, and probably that had some effect to it. But um, but I don't I don't think that... I honestly... I'll, I won't give uh, the Quebec caucus, the Quebec conservative caucus, that much credit. I think at the end of the day, the reason why Jean Charest ran was because... The people, the, the 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 those advisors that have been close to him that do fall into the lobbyist class, told him, told his wife, told his kids, who are both politically active and are mm -hmm. great, great individuals. Mm -hmm. His entire family is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. They convinced him that he could pull this off when they knew damn right that he could not. You know, one thing that has brought so much joy to me was seeing a guy like Gérard Deltel. <laughs> supporting Jean Charest. What a weird world we live in, right? Former ADQ, MNA, supporting somebody like yeah, this? For, for, those, for those who don't know what we're talking about right now, Gérald Deltel, provincially, he was a member of the ADQ and then the CAC uh, party. I don't think uh, no, Charest he was, was there. He wasn't, Charest wasn't there when the CAC no, was formed. No. So he was in the ADQ. One of the fiercest, I'd say, uh, members of the opposition uh, fantastic order great great, yeah, yeah. great parliamentarian but this is one guy that had a fucking bullseye on Charest like for yeah. the entire time he was in office and to see and obviously he transitioned he went federal he, he got elected into the conservative party and now he is rallying support for Jean Charest it's just funny how politics works but this is why when people and I and I called this even before I was thinking during the time of uh Right before Aaron O'Toole, right before the provincial, the federal campaign in 21 when Aaron was running. And I said, you know what? There really is a grave chance that if Aaron doesn't pull this off with the loss that we had last time, especially uh, with Washir, and if Aaron, even from what the polls were showing at the time, and it did happen, getting less seats than last time, mm -hmm. e, I think that we could see a splitting of the conservative party, like a splitting of the modern conservative mm -hmm. party. Now, with what we're seeing right now with the contentious leadership race, with two diverging paths one of Pierre Poilievre's conservative mm -hmm. party one of Jean Charest's conservative party I do think that there is the possibility that we do see a split um, I don't know how somebody like an Alain Reyes who is a respected respected MP from Richmond uh, Athabasca mm -hmm. um, somebody who's who's loved by the Quebec conservative caucus who's loved by the Quebec conservative members and I would say by the party overall mm -hmm. uh, across Canada very well respected and 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 would be fantastic ministerial material if, if, if a conservative government finally gets back in. But with the rhetoric that Anne has been, the, the daggers he's been tossing towards Pierre's way, I don't know how he's able to reconcile. I think Pierre will be the big boy in the situation and will extend the olive branch and say, hey, listen, words were said. Mm -hmm. They weren't nice on both sides, perhaps. Let's bury the hatchet. Um, I don't know if Alain is willing to continue down that path because Alain's um Alain's a smart guy. I think that he he just doesn't. I don't know if if the politics that he's seeing brew, or at least his per, his perception of how the race on Pierre's side is going. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he can come to terms with it. So you think there, there was an interesting article? I can't remember if it was in the French paper or in the English paper. I can't remember. I think it was in the French paper. I think it was in La Presse. Yeah. Um, to the effect that Jean Charest has been mulling over the idea yep. for a while now about creating kind of like the equivalent of the Coalition Avenir Quebec here in, mm -hmm. in Quebec, but at the federal level yep. where he's going to get, you know, the more uh, fiscal liberals from Justin Trudeau, uh, obviously the conservatives that don't want Pierre Poilievre. I don't see him getting anyone from the NDP, but whatever. But the, uh, these progressive conservatives yeah. and, 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 uh, and creating and a coalition. Form, and, form another, uh, and form another party. 
Which would be devastating, I think. I because I I don't I, first off, I don't think this would be effective in terms of recruiting many people. Uh, I think it would be effective maybe in terms of recruiting some of the some of the conservative MPs that are currently in caucus, maybe some from Ontario and the Atlantic provinces, but like I'm talking about like one or two, maybe three tops. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a big appetite. Yeah, I just don't think that, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, and I and again, I don't I don't know why. Why would somebody like Jean Charest want to continue down after being beaten by yeah. Pierre Some and on top of it. Again, going back into the whole bad advice that Cher has, uh, you know, received. When he left Quebec, Paul, well, sorry, when he was you booted out. He lost. He lost. It was that. Um, but when he transitioned into, into, into private life, went to McCarthy as a senior advisor, um, obviously, you know, doing a lot of work with the Francophonie, doing a lot of work with advising on Africa for McCarthy's clients. And, you know, bringing in uh, a decent amount of money for them, doing a good job, well-respected. But usually you would see somebody like that after a few years um, of leaving public office, uh, somebody like a chief executive, like a premier or prime minister, they'd start, I, I call it collecting, but they would start collecting, being appointed on uh, board seats mm-hmm. uh, of, of major corporations, crown corporations or otherwise. And he um, did that. He, uh, he, he went on the CN recently. And, had his, to, and for, for not even, not, yeah, not he even had to like step eight, down because it was like campaign. eight months, but it was yeah, eight months. Yeah. And you're talking about it was 10 years post premier. Yeah. Whereas just about any other premier, prime minister uh, from any uh, high-level uh, federal minister uh, is able to get on on a slew mm-hmm. of different board seats like that across corporate Canada, and he wasn't able to get on any, I think a lot of people veered away from him. And I say to myself, like, okay, so maybe things weren't going well for him in terms of getting that, but you just got into a significant, a significant seat, as I believe, what I recall, the only francophone mm-hmm. on the board of on CN, board. and he created a big problem oh, when so he ran. Did I say uh, via rail? Uh, no, no, you said CN. No, you oh, said, I said CN. CN. Yeah. Okay, yeah. But he was, it was on, on the board of CN, the only francophone, yeah. and he created a problem for CN after he left because there was no francophone left, and they didn't replace uh, yeah. for quite some time with a francophone. But my point being is that. Um, Either he wasn't able to maneuver very well in terms of getting those those corporate board seats, um, or he was getting some very bad advice from individuals close to him. And I think that was, I think maybe both maybe both cases are, are, are correct. I don't know. I mean, I, I I got excited when his name circulated because I was among the people that would that that that, that had this urge to see a real politician back on the scene, right? Especially right. at the federal level. Um, and we respect Jean Charest. We might differ with him in a, yeah, his opinion, but we respect. But, him. Honestly, look, I don't have a horse in the race. Uh, I'm not. I'm, a, I'm not a member of the Conservative Party. I, I'm on the sidelines. I have a membership. I have membership uh, form in my bag here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, I'm just enjoying the sidelines, and it honestly, it's just interesting. Again, right, right, because for a long time there was just nothing happening. There was no opposition in Ottawa. Justin Trudeau had carte blanche to do whatever the fuck he wanted. Um, it's just recently that things are starting to brew again, right? And it's it, it, it's good. It's bringing life again back into the political scene, um, which is more than we can say uh, at the provincial level, <laughs> where oh, well, nothing. The most out. the most interesting thing for us to talk about, you know, my observation over the course of the past little while is that we've known for quite some time that Jean Charest is going to win re-election. Uh, Jean, excuse me. Whoa, talk about uh, their Freudian slips and their Freudian <laughs> slips. Um, in any case, we knew that François Legault was going to was run, uh, was going to run, uh, was going to win yeah. a re-election. Um, Michael, 
No more wine for you. No more wine for you. Go ahead. Um, but in any case, uh, it's just a question about how, by how big of a, of a majority, uh, a plurality of seats that he's he's obviously going to get a plurality of seats, but it's how big of a majority he's going to get inside of the. L- uh, let me tell Assembly. you something from from where I stand. Um, obviously, the result that we got in 2018, I don't think anyone saw that coming. Right. Uh, call us ignorant, call us disconnected, whatever it was, we just did not see it happen. Um, I'm not going to say I'm some grand oracle, but I felt that there was something in the water way yeah. before the, the campaign started. But to that effect, to that, ma- no, that, no, no. that kind of majority, no. not, I don't think anyone saw that. Uh, definitely wasn't reflected in the polls. I, uh, I, I became a little bit closer to the theory that we would get to the number that he got in terms of what he got, like uh, 70 some odd seats. Mm-hmm. Um when Philip Criald made the stumble of, oh, of course a family of four can live off of $75 a week of groceries. Um, so it, it just did for me. I, I heard that and I was like, every Quebecer just heard that. And but we were that so was, that fucked. was entirely out of context. Like but, it, that, but it was it, fair, I, but, but I, I that's, how, I, that's how I, the I media know, played I know, it. I know. And that's how it was yeah, heard, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And we got so It was a that. small clip and it was t- taken out of context and that buried everyone uh but essentially uh in the last four years seeing that there has been absolutely no opposition uh not only will he win i'm an, and of course look i mean we can it's all hypothetics here i mean uh, it's all hypothetical nobody 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 can tell the future i don't only think that he's going to win another majority i have a feeling that he's going to win another government after that maybe a minority government but i my understanding is that he's he's this is his last uh, rodeo this is his last one. He's in, in by the um, by the halfway point of, of if he wins his government, which he will, or this election rather, um, informs government again uh, that you think there will he's going to step down. There will be a leadership. I think he's made this clear, unless he's changing his plans. But I think that I, I, didn't, I haven't heard anything. Yeah, that's that was my. Uh, and then you'll have like you know uh, Geneviève Guilbeault, the public security minister and the deputy prime, prime yeah, minister. Yeah, Bernardel that's going to take a stab at uh, it. Our our good friend uh, Bernard Grinville. Uh, I think that he will also be prime ah. to to run as well, and this this brings me back to what what we're seeing right now. Like there there has so yeah, it's just a question of how much he's going to win by. What is he? What so what is? Let's talk about what Legault is doing. What is he doing right now? He's recruiting some of the best of the best mm-hmm. uh, to run with him. He and and but more instead of the individuals he's recruiting, we talked about uh, Bernard Rainville. He, my friend Pascal Derry, who's running over in mm-hmm. Repentigny, mm-hmm. uh, Pascal, who's a federal conservative, somebody who was a, a lead, a, a media advisor, um, and did did she did my media training when I was running he, as a conservative he, candidate. He recruited, uh, oh man, God, I forget her name. Martin Biron, Martin the Biron, Canada before journalist. that, the Bloc Québécois lady. Uh, she was the uh, mayor of Longueuil for a long time. Ah, Caroline Saint-Hilaire, Saint-Hilaire. who's married to Macacoto. Macacoto, yeah. So in any case, um, and she's going to be running, I believe, in Sherbrooke. So mm-hmm. we, we go through the list of, of, of people, but let's look at their professions. Where he's recruiting, he's like recruited like nine journalists. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the Quebec uh, press corps likes to really navel gaze and talk about, you know, well, what is this going to do for the state of democracy that, you know, so many journalists are now being recruited by the CAC government. Like, let's do a deep dive now. They did this on CTV yeah, yeah, with yeah, Patrick yeah, White, yeah. Patrick White, who's a journalism professor. But there was a lot of articles to that effect, right? Yeah, like, it's like, should oh you, should you, look, I believe that if you are a citizen, you can do whatever, whatever the fuck, fuck you, you want, want. Okay. The problem, however, and I think this is what the journalists issue is, and they just, don't want to really pinpoint it because everyone is in the same boat, mm-hmm. especially the big journals like Martin Biron, even Bernard Drinville. 
they have contacts everywhere with every single person of every single party. They understand and they know secrets that are off the record, right? Which they would have a fiduciary responsibility to maintain that uh, confidentiality. That's where the problem comes in because from one day to the next when, and I think that was an article that came out with Martin mm -hmm. Biron, like the day or, or two days before the announcement was made, she was having lunch or whatever with someone from the PQ, like some, uh, mm -hmm. you know, some behind the scenes guy from the PQ, some major player. Oh yeah, the, the, the PQ yeah. is a major yeah, player. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that, that was my <laughs> slip up. In any case, who knows what they were talking about? And that, I think, I can't remember, I can't remember the guy's name, but he came out on Twitter and saying that, you know, they were discussing confidential information and all Aww. that stuff. It was off the record. I know what you feel like, buddy. <laughs> Tough luck. But this is the point. That's like, how it this is. This is why I, t I tell staffers in Alberta and when I was working in Quebec, journalists are not your friend. Yeah, but dude, when, journalists when you're, when you're on the Journalists do not hill, trust yeah. the journalist. They're not, you're going to go for a beer with them. Close your fucking mouth. And what do these politicians do? Well, what, what, a lot of politicians, but also these staffers, they say, oh no, but she told me everything was going to be off the record and then she <laughs> promised me and she, you know, crossed her heart and hoped to die. There's no such, Bullshit. Thing, there's no such thing as off the record. They, but they you have, have admit, a job to do. But you have to admit that if you're on the Hill, and we're talking about someone that's there for one or two years, if you're there for like five, six, ten years, you develop friendships with these journalists and there is this trust relationship uh, and I understand that. And they'll still cut you. Uh, I don't know. I would. I wouldn't oh, go I've that far. I, oh my god! Yeah, I've seen some crazy stuff from stories that I've heard of of ministers being burned because they said, "Oh no!" But she she told me that she had my back, and mm. and yeah, and she wrote a great cover piece the the following week. Yeah, didn't have your back then. Yeah. Anyway, th I think that's the main concern uh, around the the, the, the the journalists here in Quebec because everyone is in the same boat. Yeah. You're gonna tell me Sebastien Beauvais, He's been up on the hill for God knows how long. Uh, you, you, it's inevitable. You're making friends. You're going to become friends with the M and A's and the staffers and all that stuff. And there is this trust relationship. And I think that's what's problematic with specifically Martin Biron, who was a major fucking journalist up on the hill. You know, uh, and it's not only her. Bernard Drinville was a journalist. Uh, there's so many that have made the jump. Uh, what's his name? The guy in um, in Quebec, Solidaire. Vincent Marissal. Yeah. Um, but my point, you know, Jean-François Lisée, Lisée, you know, yeah. so, so there's so many have, have made this transition here, but at the same time, I mean, like, anyway, they, they, you see what, what Legault is doing right now. He's recruiting he, he, his comms people, his, his, his chief communicators right now, who will be, um, many of them will be ministers. He's recruiting, and a lot of them female, which is great in terms of parody. He's going to hit that parody. Mm -hmm. Um, inside of caucus, and obviously he's aiming for cabinet as well. He might even have more uh, female uh, caucus members um, or uh, cabinet, members cabinet members too. So very important for him in terms of being able to push off any accusations of, oh, you're mm -hmm. a sexist or you're mm -hmm. not supporting women or whatever in politics. Um, so, you know, then it's sort of his economic sort of grouping here. Um, he got um, Christiane Frechette today, who is the... Uh, former president of the Chamber of Commerce of Eastern Montreal. She'll be running, I believe, in uh, the South Shore of Montreal, in the Montérégie, I forget mm -hmm. which riding exactly. Uh, so there's a bunch, there's all, and then a former um, uh, senior director at Ubisoft is going to be running for, for in Laval. In Laval, yeah. So there, there's this economic suite of characters that they're recruiting as well. Um, so you're seeing then from from the, you know the the, administ the administrators the 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 CEOs of, of different nonprofits you're seeing uh, a few indigenous candidates that he's bringing to the slew so 
it's really interesting how he's attracting these types. And of course, uh, even in Brossard, where we are right now, he's, attra- he's attracted the, uh, the work of a doctor at uh, Charles Lemoyne Hospital mm-hmm. in uh, Greenfield Park, mm-hmm. who lives in Brossard, who'll be running here. I think there's a very good chance that the cat I, could I think pick, so too. That they could they could pick up that pineal, which is the riding of Brossard. Um, so they're, they're, he, he's, he's building on the credentials he already has in cabinet. I think it's a pretty strong cabinet. Fitzgibbon will continue to have a place in there. Girald, I think that they'll they will need to either exp- I think they'll have to do what Doug Ford did in terms of expanding cabinet mm-hmm. and putting some of those key power players in there and taking out the dead weights. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll see who that dead, dead weight is, but there are definitely some ministers that have not been performing as well as they should have been. Well, the education guy for sure is going to... Uh, you know, and then on on maybe more of a, a, a more somber and, and sadder note, somebody like Nadine Giroux, who uh, obviously suffering health from... Health reasons, a, yeah. For health reasons, her cancer is back. Um, and, you know, I wish her well. And I think that she actually did very well as a minister of international relations. The amount of meetings that they did because uh, during covid and mm-hmm. the pandemic that they had were able to do because of um uh, you know everybody going virtual uh, was huge uh, i think it was somewhere between 25 it was like two over 2500 virtual meetings they did and over the course of that same time period normally they would do like maybe 300 if mm-hmm. they were lucky and the her she really pushed for the ministry to say i want you speaking with as many international channels as possible mm-hmm. let's try to make some deals uh everybody's trying to adapt to this and quebec has to step up to the plate because if not we're going to be left behind in terms of commerce yeah. trade whatever we can do to promote quebec let's not use the pandemic as an excuse to put our feet up let's use the pandemic as a way for us to advance ourselves and that's what she did so you're going to see some people being replaced here's what i think um and this was, uh, you know, we saw this happening, uh, at least the, the more senior guys uh, saw this happening. I remember when in 2018, we, you know, we lost, a, the Liberals lost the campaign and there was, um, uh, there was a convention with uh, the party members and they were trying to determine, oh, why did we lose and what do we have to do and blah, blah, blah. And there was a bunch of us that thought uh, that's part of the game. We lost because the, it's it's part of the reality we're in politics that's what happens we lose let's put this behind us and let's focus on you know 2022 please tell me there was at least an open bar in there i uh, know there, there should have been god damn it uh and uh don't don't post mortems usually happen like behind the scenes like what what is with this whole there thing was look there, there was one like within uh, you know for the candidates right uh, and i was a candidate so i was there and that was okay whatever but then there was there was one with the association president so i happened to become an association president in Laurier Dor in the writing that I ran in because I wanted to get involved in the leadership campaign. Um, so they brought us together and uh, they were trying to determine what the fuck went wrong and what are we going to do? And I was just there practically pulling my hair, whatever was left of my hair. I was like, why are we focusing on useless stuff? We lost because we lost. You know, it was just the wrong platform, whatever. Just a, Can we just focus on what What's our next? strengths are? Yeah. Uh, and I felt that the approach was to beat because Legault essentially won on the nomination, fr- uh, the um, the nationalist front. He was, you know, the, the Quebec nationalist, and I'll go get the regions, and that's pretty much what propelled him. Yeah. And I I got this sense that everyone wanted to win that battle. We gotta beat him on the nationalist thing. And I was thinking, dude, yeah. how about we just stick to what we're good at? You know, we've been labeled the party of the economy, and let's just focus on that. We just left him with a five billion dollar surplus that they're gonna have a lot of fun with. Uh, can we just focus on that? And everybody's like, no, 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 we gotta go after the nationalist thing. Blah blah blah. Which they blew on COVID. Uh, 
Yeah, of course. But look, that, that that's good for him. I mean, he had all this excess money that he yeah. could do whatever he wants. Well, you have to thank Carlos Leita for that. Uh, absolutely, yeah. 100%. Uh, and it's exactly what happened. The party ran after Legault to beat him on the nationalist front, and they weren't even competing with the CAC. They were competing with the Parti Québécois and Quebec Solidaire. Yeah. So you can understand from the position of François Legault, he has three parties fighting to beat him on some uh, on, on an issue that for him, it's it's done. I already won that battle. It, it, I got to my, my majority. Forget it, it's done. I'm walking away with it. So you have three parties fighting amongst themselves instead of fighting with the government because that's their job. Mm. While this guy is fucking rambling on the announcements and before you know it, he came out saying that we are the party of the economy. So he took that away from the liberals as well, flanked them completely. So what is left now? So I don't know what kind of platform Dominique Anglade is going to run on. You know, she she did that eco plan, so economy, ecology, whatever. Uh, I haven't even read it. I don't even know if it's enough. I'm I'm hearing from within the party um, people saying that you know the issue is that she's not really well known. It's like, yeah, well, dude, what the fuck did you do for four years? Yeah. And it's not that she's well, a newcomer. Like, what, three years that she had to build, two and a half, three years that she had to Whatever. build Whatever, but she it's was not, she was deputy, not a newcomer. But she was deputy she, premier. Yeah. I mean, she had a profile. She was she, she was, was elected in 2015. She but, came. She she was elected and then went straight to cabinet. Yeah, and she was the head of a, a very important uh, cabinet post. I mean, she was minister for economic development. Mm-hmm. She. Uh, you know, was well known before that as well in terms of her time at Montreal International as, stu- as a, president it, of the CAC. It's a stu- yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's a stupid excuse. You know, it's like, oh, she's not well known, dude. Fuck, the elections are happening in Is a that week really from the now. Argumentation that somebody was using with you, like, well, she's really well known. Not to me, but it's stuff that I've come to my ears. Like, you know, you is know? that something you should be working on then? And no, of not working on that. You should have already worked on. That's my point. It's it's like, yeah. Anyway. The other thing, so the question is, like, okay, so she's having, here's, a, we'll go to the PLQ. We did the CAC, you know, CAC, they, they're building up their team. They're looking very strong. They really just, honestly, Legault, just don't, whatever he does, don't go into the middle of St. Catherine Street and, like, shoot a three-year-old child in the street. <laughs> and he'll be fine. And even if he did, he might lose a seat or two. Yeah. But he's going to be fine. Yeah. Now, but we go to the PLQ now. They're having problems recruiting <laughs> candidates. My goodness. There are some of the safest seats on the island of Montreal for the PLQ. And they have not been able to fill them. And we are, what, two, three weeks away from not the potential reach? A, a week and a half, a week and a half. So you, weeks, yeah. he needs to get, she needs to get this stuff filled now. And and they they had this embarrassing process of of recruiting people online. Oh, come, my come goodness, postuler, man. Candidat pour le Parti yeah, du if Québec. you are interested or know someone yeah. that's interested, let Go us know. PLQ.org. You know, and you imagine seeing the Le Press article for that and saying, like, you know, we, you, you guys can't actually, you, you need CVs. It, look, <sighs> maybe, maybe it's us that are outdated, Michael, but I'll tell you one thing. I did politics at a time where the leader of the party knew exactly what, what he wanted what his platform was going to be right. and who he needed on board to get to, to to do that. So we rarely saw open conventions of course. back in the day. And again, we're going back to Jean Charest. Maybe it was the right thing, maybe it was the wrong thing. I don't know. Uh I'm not gonna I'm not gonna start speculating. But the guy knew what he wanted and he goes, Look, I need 125 people. We already have whatever, 70, let's say, on board because they were elected. So I need the difference. This is who I need. This is who I'm gonna go get. It's a it's a question of leadership. I have never been in favor of open conventions. I can understand in certain writings, you know, here and there, okay, that's mm-hmm. fine. Uh, and I also understand now where the the party is at, where the membership is at an 
record low. Funding is at a record low. Like we're the, we're the the worst party in the National Assembly in terms of funding, which has never happened. The Quebec Liberal Party. Can you imagine the party that? of Robert Bourassa, the party of Jean Charest. There was an article. What I think I, 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 th- I think a month ago there was an article in Journal de Montréal, and they had rallied up the the the, the figures. The Liberal Party in the last four years have raised less than one hundred ninety thousand dollars. It's pathetic. Whereas you, we're at a time, a Lawrence Bergman, former MA for Darcy McGee, yeah. uh, uh, would be able to raise that in a weekend. In a weekend. In a weekend. <laughs> Eyes closed. At, at, yeah. Like, you know? it's, yeah. It's, it's crazy. So obviously times have changed. The amounts have been reduced, whatever. Okay, I get it. So I understand that given the situation that we're in, your open conventions are going to bring in members, they're going to bring in money. But the reality it's is that enough. these members in 2023, they will not be there. They won't be there. So unless you fix the foundation and you fix the structure so that you can get that machine rolling again, forget about these fucking people. And for me, I don't know, man. It's a question of leadership. Get the people that you want. Get them on board and get your campaign started. For a party like the Liberal Party of Quebec to not have a complete slate a week and a half before the elections is embarrassing to say the least. Oh, it's reprehensible. Uh, I think that on top of that, the other thing you have to take into consideration is just the mismanagement that Anglade has had in her office. Mm-hmm. She's had massive turnover in her uh, assembly office mm-hmm. in Quebec City. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people coming out of there are not too friendly towards her. Mm-hmm. And so you could tell that there is definitely a little bit of animosity on that front. And there could be some, you know, which happens in every political office. There's yeah. always a little bit, but the people are not leaving on good terms, especially right before the election. So she's talking about building a team, a slate of candidates. Well, she can't even keep her own staff. Yeah. That's problematic for her. On top of that, we talked about the inability to fundraise, the inability to recruit the proper candidates, candidates in ridings where you could run a ham sandwich in the riding of Darcy McGee, Cote St. Luke and Hampstead, yeah. and even the Jewish vote will go for the ham sandwich. <laughs> yeah. It's it's like you you literally, you cannot lose this riding. Yeah. You could put anybody there. And this is where we're left. What I'm hearing uh, is a few things on, um, which is concerning, is you, you would think that somebody who has mismanagement in terms of, you know, not being able to get her, herself recognized out there, um, she's going to lose. She could very well lose her seat in mm-hmm. Saint Anne. I think if she, she doesn't lose her seat in Saint Saint Anne, I, I think whatever the polls seem to suggest, if that's the number of MNA she's going to end up with, she probably won't have a choice than to resign. And then in that by election, then it's gone. Yeah. So I already hear from members of her caucus that she's starting to do the rounds in terms of testing leadership support when she does lose. And ensuring that she God, are you and serious? that she has and that she is asking members or, that is or, so can, odd. or candidates. It's very bizarre, but given the circumstances, I mean she's fighting for her political this career. This is credible. You've heard that for yes. oh my god. And so and then she's asking and she's asking new candidates coming in in seats that are relatively safe and, and assured. Uh, to pledge uh, their solidarity and support towards her. That, that is ridiculous. The which most ridiculous I've never, thing I've ever I don't heard. think I've ever... Never, never heard anything ...heard this like from any other political party in, in the Western world um, asking for this type of support. It but just, can you imagine if something like this were to leak in the media? Well, it's leaking right here, but I'm only one source, right? So <laughs> it's like I, somebody will have to do this. All, unfortunately, all the journalists who would want to write about it are now running for the CAC. So yeah, it doesn't... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I I know for a fact that 
you know, the caucus isn't all there. Like, they're yeah. not 100% behind her. People have been wondering, why the hell have we not been able to raise more money? I, can I just, just really, uh, yeah. you, talk, you just mentioned, like, they're not all there. I, I'm not going to mention the name of the caucus colleague, but uh, a, a re- relatively well-known liberal MLA, MLA M&A uh, was like at the um, the National Bank Cup at Jerry Park today and was just posting all day about it and stuff like that. And I'm mm. thinking to myself like, shit, you're like a week or two away from the election. You should be putting like in promoting on your professional M&A page. Like you're there mm. with your significant other, having a good time, posting selfies, whatever. What is going on? Mm. Like you, you've all, and they're running again for re-election. Like you've obviously checked out, mm. and thank God you're running in a safe seat, or else you'd be losing. But, but that's what it is. Anyway, but, but that's what it is. I, I, I'm, I'm, I've heard a lot of things, and it, it, specifically with respect to the fundraising. Yeah, they had set some targets. I think the party had set up targets for uh, for sitting M and A's and for uh, orphan writings, like the like you know the writings that they don't have a seat in, and. Uh, the sitting MAs, a lot of them said, Well, that's my target. That's all you're getting, and fuck off. Zero. No, like, yeah. no effort past that. So, what are, what are these targets? Like, what? Like, I don't know. Like, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to throw numbers out there. Because I, I know there were some numbers, like, when I was there under Shang Yo, they would ask, like, for 35 or 40. I think that yeah, was, yeah, like, it's much, I, it's much less now. Yeah, because they know they can't raise much, that much. Much less now. And even in an election year, you're, you're listen, the it's amounts double, in Quebec, yeah. it's, it's low, it's 100, it's, it's doubles up in, in it's disgusting. In the election. Uh, that was, and you know that that's the Liberal Party that did that. Like, uh, we shot ourselves in the foot. Oh. We went from 3,000, we took the pressure of the opposition. It was Jacques, um, Jacques Dupuis uh, at that time. Yeah. And he brought it down to, I think, 1,500. And then when the PQ went into power, yeah, we brought st- it down we to started the, We started the trend and they yeah. continued it. Yeah. So we shot ourselves in the foot. Uh, and this was all to uh, eliminate the whole process of prêt-non, like, uh, you know, like fake names. Uh, you had, you know, back then people working in engineering firms or law firms that would sign checks of $3,000. And you're like, dude, you're a secretary. How the hell are you? How can you afford it? But $100 doesn't. You're not. If you're influencing somebody limit- with $100. Wow. No, but and, what and I'm I've seen, and I've seen accusations from from Quebec City Dow. Could you imagine that they're going out there and saying, "Well, there were there was some people at an event being asked to give money to a, a coalition a coalition du Québec uh, um, minister uh, to be at a, at a special private event mm. that's influencing the minister to <laughs> make decisions." I'm like, it's Monsieur, Madame, tout le monde. It's literally like a woman who looks like she should be in a siège yeah. day, like giving a hundred bucks uh, because she supports the political cause. She, who is she influencing? The funding for her to get yeah. a private room. No, the, the 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 party funding is just ridiculous, uh, which is why now the formula is you know the, it's the public. They're, they're publicly funded. The parties now. It's, yeah. it's it's you know it's. But it's, if you don't have the votes. If you're not getting it goes the votes, with votes exactly. It's and but if you don't have the momentum behind you, if you don't have so the, see this is you're the, not cashing in. So this is the problem now. A lot of people uh, I'm talking with, like top strategists, um, a lot of them kind of know already that they're going to lose, even though publicly they're never going they're never going to come out and say, oh well, you know, we're going to lose this one. No, that never happens. But but they know deep down inside. But deep down, wow, I'd I'd pay them so much money just to you know they must be some of the best consultants you know because no, uh, look, you, anybody can read on the wall yeah, that the liberals exactly. are going to lose. No, but that's not the point. The point is not they understand that they're not going to win. Mm. But the problem I think, and especially with this 
nomination process, this open convention thing, which didn't ex- it existed for a, th- a third of the writings. I, and, I, and, and, I'm I'm hearing from a lot of people that there is so much frustration on the ground, yeah. especially with respect to the ethnic communities and the Anglo community, specifically with Bill ninety six, where the Liberal Party botched that whole thing completely from A to Z. Thank um, you, David Birnbaum. Yeah, and Helen David, we got to yeah, put well. her in there. So. The issue isn't isn't losing. The issue is losing worse than you did before. People staying home because ultimately that is going to affect your funding. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I don't I don't look. I'm not organizing. I'm not involved. And you know we can talk all we want. And maybe it's different when you're actually in the thing. Uh, I, I can imagine uh, it's the, very difficult for any uh, POQ candidate. Running for or candidate or an MNA running for re-election from the PLQ, I can imagine it is extremely frustrating, especially if you're in a constituency with with a decent amount of Anglophones mm-hmm. having to respond for Bill ninety six. Oh Jesus! Having Christ. to respond for, th- for but you three do know that the, the entire campaign, especially on the island of Montreal, is going to be focused around that. Of course, and so I'm glad came out today, and it's a bit nuanced. I need to get the full details, but she's telling her candidates that um, the messaging for the campaign is going to be oh we're going to repeal certain sections of bill 96 yeah but say it and but 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 when i say so the flip-flopping certain sections oh apart from the section that says you need three extra courses which thanks, they, thanks which to our screwed up thanks by, to by us way. yeah in parliamentary commission brought by david birnbaum and i and i like david as a person but the fact that david went forward with this and how dominique anglade and the leader's office we're unaware of this beyond me because I think they're implicated along with this as well. Were they unaware? Were I don't think. I, I, I don't I, think I, they are. It's hard I, for me to believe that they were. But for them, for three additional courses that are going to be detrimental to the passing or failing of Anglophone students wait, in Seychelles. Let's just inform everyone. This is yeah. what happens. This, Bill ninety six is um, it, it beefs up the French language laws. Yes, in if Quebec. you've been living under a rock for the past few months. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just in case, yeah. So it beefs up the French language um, uh, laws in Quebec. And, um, you know, it, it restricts, first of all, in CGIPs, you know, there's certain restrictions in English CGIPs and enrollment and that sort of thing. So there was um, a, an amendment that was made in an article from the Liberal Party to impose uh, three classes to be done in French. Okay, so... I don't understand how you come up with something like this because the kids that are the, the, the students that are in CGIP, in English CGIP, chances are um, that they've done their elementary in English, that they're you know they, they've done their high school in English, and they're, they they end up in CGIP in English. Obviously, they haven't done much in French to but, begin but they with. Have, they have some sort of they have a base of but French, very minimal. But, but, but let's be honest, it's the here, risk. It's, it's the risk that they could they could fuck up but, one of these courses and that ruins exactly. their post secondary. So career. the amendment specifically was to have three courses in your entire thing done Man- in f- mandated. Yeah, done in French. So let's yeah. say you're I don't know you're studying uh, in pure and applied sciences. You got to take a math class in French, and it was ridiculous to suggest that they realized how stupid that amendment was obviously the cac and the pq and the other parties were like oh sure yeah let's vote no, on it actually, perfect let's on do the it con- on the contrary when this so i i know from people inside the cac that when this came forward the cac was like are, 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 are you yeah. are you sure yeah you, but you they voted go? they're like no, okay no, they didn't, sure. no, no, but in consultation before the voting yeah, itself yeah, in yeah. consultations with, with the pq yeah, yeah, sure let's go the ahead. cac was like the cac was 
are you do you know what you're like do you know what you're about to do like do you understand <laughs> yeah. you you're giving us a win like you recognize and the appeal kid was uh-huh yeah good anything for you okay uh. yeah morons so then they realized uh what happened and they came back asking for them to uh i don't even know what the term is to to to, to reconsider to reconsider. reconsider can you can we take back our yeah. our, our shitty, they our shitty want, work? yeah they wanted to take back the amendments they made yeah on that article so there was a little negotiating here and there. Finally, they accepted another amendment, so a correction to the initial amendment to have three courses of French. So to yeah. do three French courses, which or that's fine. That makes sense. Let me tell you something. I have friends in high places at the Mont at the English Montreal School Board. Okay, like the highest place. <laughs> okay, I don't know how to say this. It's the the Illuminati yeah. of the MSB. I get a phone call. And this individual's like, what the fuck are you doing? I go, dude, I, I don't know. I love how the EMSB holds holds you, George, personally yeah, responsible just, for anything the POQ does we're, now. We're very, we're very close friends. We're very close friends. And so the person's like, do you fucking realize what you just... I'm like, dude, not me. Don't say you, okay? I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I, I was fucking speechless. And he goes, they did not consult anyone nobody 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 how nobody, the fuck nobody did this come yeah like it just landed from fucking space and they they, they proposed it they did not talk to anyone in, in they didn't the industry the in the community groups network anybody in like the business community zero no. they just came up with it from with, I don't with, know where. with the sageps you know like you would think that they would speak with like dawson college or a marionopolis yeah. or a john abbott yeah. nobody or the english montreal fucking school board you know that controls the entire fucking anyway uh that's where they've succumbed and uh i think on the island of montreal they're gonna have a major issue especially on the western tip of the island they're not gonna lose any seats i don't think they're, they're not gonna, gonna lose it it's just it's they're gonna it's gonna go instead of like let's say endorse me like what in 2014 they got like what 92 percent in 2018 it went dropped down to 73 percent let's say they're gonna get like what fifty between fifty five and sixty percent, mm -hmm. and and it's it's not the fact they're gonna lose any seats. It's just as embarrassing that it's gonna be they're gonna win by that margin, yeah. and they're losing the vote the money from it's those money. votes. That's what it is. It's follow the money. Yeah, that, that that's the thing. So that uh, has caused so much stir, where now we have two uh, new parties that were created. Yes, uh, Block Montreal, or they're not called Block Montreal. They weren't allowed to use that, I think. Finally, or were they? I think I keep on they weren't allowed to use Mouvement uh, Mouvement Mo Quebec, but they use Block. And every time I see Block Montreal, I think of like, oh, Block Quebec. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, and I'm like, the the, the branding on this. I is not don't great. know if that this was is, a smart. Is, so head, headed by a Balarama Balarama Holness who lost uh, the mayoralty. Yeah, in Montreal. Uh, and then there's the Canadian Party of Quebec or Canadian, something like that. Yeah. Yes, uh, by. Colin Standish, yeah, who's yeah. Uh, an astute lawyer from, yeah, yeah. from the Eastern Townships. Who I don't know if these yeah. guys are going to do much. I think they're yeah. aiming the Anglophone, like the more Anglo communities' uh, writings. I don't think that's going to happen, but who knows? Watch the PCQ. Watch the, the Quebec Conservative so, Party. So we're going to get to yeah, yeah. The, the, the Quebec Conservative Party. Uh, which was always on the map. Nobody knew they existed. They were like this marginal little party that was getting a couple so percentage points. Just to give you, and then you have Eric Duhem that yeah. comes on board and has destroyed membership is at a record high. Pierre Polyev style. Yeah, 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 yeah. He has, I, I, I and he gets crowds like Pierre Polyev too. Yeah. He's he's able to bring people in. 
His candidates are a little questionable. I mean, there's a certain, little, uh, you know, like it depends on which ones, of course. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. There, I don't know if he's desperate to get people on board and he's just getting whatever fringe. Well, I uh, think it's a reflection of, of his leadership. I think it's a reflection of his policies. I mean, I think I think Eric Duhem is probably going to do well in the region of Quebec. Of course, um, I see him winning maybe a couple of seats, one, two, two seats, maybe. I think two's two's a bit right. I don't know if he's going to do anything on the island of Montreal um, or in the greater area of Montreal. Um, but still, it's it's still in in Percy, you know. He's gonna he's gonna he's gonna have a seat in the house. Yeah. So it's 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 a victory regardless for them. So some former um, members of the National Assembly whose names escape me, uh, but I believe the one was a liberal, one was a, uh, uh, from the Parti Québécois. This is going back to the 1990s that they were members. Um, they they after they retired from the National Assembly, they weren't very high profile. They were backbenchers. They decided to form the Quebec Conservative Party. Um, the, Patsy, okay. uh, the the PCQ. And so when they formed the PCQ, um, I believe they went through a few interim leaders and eventually a businessman who relatively respected by the name of Adrien Pouliot uh, became the leader. And Adrien would, you know, he would run, but obviously make no real splash in, in terms of no. ever getting into the debates. Like I told you, I didn't even know they existed, they existed until right. like, I got involved. But but Adrien, like he he sort of was there to as a to nurture the party to maybe another leader coming on eventually. I do. I think that Adrien would have loved to have gotten his own seat. Of mm -hmm. course, never happened. The guy is not the most charismatic, but he's a respected business person. Mm -hmm. In any case, uh, Eric Zoyim comes into the into the. Uh, the picture and everything blows up, and this is where we find ourselves today, where that 200-kilometer north-south corridor from Quebec City, so going north uh, up into uh, uh, Beaupré, uh, Côte-Nord, that sort of area there, and then that south going into Beauce, um, that is going to be the, uh, I think, the sweet spot for him to be able to target yeah. some 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 candidates. Um, Beauce-Sud, Beauce-Nord, Beauce-Sud in particular, where my friend uh, Samuel, Samuel Poulain is uh, is currently a member of the National Assembly. Samuel is a great guy, and I have a lot of respect for him. He's uh, being targeted by them heavily, yeah. and that very well could be a, a seat that flips from the CAC uh, over to the PCQ. Um, and then we're seeing... Where is he running? He's running in... Uh, Beausud. So that's where... Sam no, no, no. I'm talking about Eric Duhem. Eric Duhem. I can't recall exactly where he's announced. I want to say it's, it's definitely in the Quebec City region. Um, yes. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Yeah. So in any case, we'll see what happens there. But do I think that uh, it's going to make a big impression on the landscape of Quebec politics? I mean, listen, a new a new a new party coming into the Quebec National Assembly usually is it's a, it's a, it's considerable. It, yeah. But it's not a huge. I don't splash. think so too. But I don't, I don't think it's going to make a big thing. But look, it's it's an. But he's made waves. Yeah, for sure. And look, it's an additional voice in Parliament, and that's always it's always healthy for democracy. The big surprise, I think. Well, it's not really a surprise, but it's because they've been such a present force in Quebec politics, the Parti Québécois risks getting completely dismantled, perhaps yeah. maybe left with one. Maybe Pascal Berube is going to keep in, his seat. In Matan, Matapédia. Uh, he'll, he'll keep his seat there, but I mean... It's uh, almost unbelievable. Yeah, but then I could... I could I, and I don't know, Pascal's like a fairly convicted guy. His his convictions are with the PQ. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, I... I, I but do, do I see him becoming part of the the CAC fold? Perhaps a prediction one day is him walking over. It would be hard for me to see that happening, but given the circumstances of the PQ, why would one stay as a party of one? Do we, does he see himself rebuilding? I don't know. I don't know if that's going to be the case. And that's going to be interesting because it's it's almost unimaginable that the PQ is no longer on the, you know, 
But, but and the thing is, too, is that people, uh, when I hear the argumentation of, from people that, oh, the CAC, it's just a PQ 2.0, that's all it is. Look at the candidates for recruiting. A lot of the candidates, I would say maybe about half, are federalists. Mm-hmm. These are people that are, some of them, of that half that are federalists, half of those are conservatives. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, are these people that are going to are gonna play well with, uh, you know, nationalists within the, within the CAC? It really is a, co- a real. It's a well, real coalition. Look, how do you how do you melt that together I, I, well, and keep it together? I don't know. That's an interesting question because you have heavies. You have Bernard Drinville. You have Caroline Saint Hilaire. These guys aren't just nobody. No. Like these guys are, and it, they are going to take their place in caucus, and they will assume their place in cabinet. Do you think that's going to create a little rift? Absolutely, it's going to be. But this is what I'm saying in terms of if Legault decides that okay, I've done my part. I've established the CAC. I've established them into government. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tap out now and there's a leadership race. Hey boy, it's going to get ugly fast. And this is going to be the first time that we see real division. And Mm. the the cracks are already there in the coalition. Everybody knows that they exist. We're just going to start to see them surface. And it's going to be the first, you know, first public, um, you know, uh, you're going to see a lot of things being tossed at other candidates that are, that are vying for the leadership of the CAC. And it can get real nasty. And this is going to be the first time that we're going to see that type of nastiness coming from CAC. And it's going to be it's going to be CAC on CAC. Mm. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. What about Quebec Solidaire, the last party? Um, I have a feeling they're going to lose seats. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. Th- I don't think that they. They've been. You know, when we talk about wokeism and we talk about things of this nature, I mean, Quebec Solidaire is that party, and they play a certain part in, t- in terms of uh, they cater to a certain base in Quebec, and it works for them. They did surprisingly well last time around. Yes. Um, are they going to be able to uh, maintain or, or make some gains? I don't think so. I think, I think, I think they're going to lose their seats in the region of Quebec. I think they're going to lose Sherbrooke. Um, Rouyn-Noranda. Rouyn-Noranda. Where we're yeah. hearing a lot about uh, the reactor up there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that plant. But you got to give it to her. She's doing a good job. I forget her. Emily, uh, I forget what her name is. Yeah, yeah. She's doing a she's doing a good job. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be enough for her to to, to, to secure the seat again, but uh, I don't see the I don't see Quebec Solidaire making any gains. No, and it's they're recruiting some candidates here and there, but nobody that you know has really been. The biggest noticed. name is um, Romeo Saganash's daughter. Yeah, Maiti. 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 Yeah. Uh, so who you know in her own right, um, obviously she she learned a lot from her father. But in her, you know, a, a person, an individual who's established in her own right in terms of social activism, uh, fighting for indigenous issues, um, environmental issues, mm-hmm. climate against climate change. Uh, she she knows what she's doing, and she and it's a great catch for Quebec Solidarity. It's a natural fit, of course, mm-hmm. for her mm-hmm. and for the party. But uh, will she be able to pull through? I I don't know. It's going to be definitely interesting. Um, uh, dude, I, I, look, I think everyone knows that uh, I'm a liberal. I mean, I ran under the banner. It's sad. What? It, yeah. What? It's it's sad to see where. I got to leave right now. <laughs> it's sad to see where we've, um, where we've come. And it's just crazy to see that. Look, there, there was always this mentality at the Liberal Party. Uh, and this is Quebec Liberal Party. You have to understand that it's... M- it's two completely separate things from the federal liberal party and just shoot just don't make any relations to that um there was always this understanding when i came in in 2007 that worst case scenario okay the shit hits the fan we're good at 45 seats and this goes back to what we were saying before about taking things for granted yeah this was always in the back of our minds like 
the worst case scenario, we're going to have 45 seats. We're going to be in opposition. No worries. What happened in 2018 was a major wake-up call. Yeah, Nobody expected that to fall under 40. That was a nuke. You know what I mean? Uh, and actually under 30. How many? They're 27, I think, something like that. Yeah. Um, and they were 27 at the time. Queer left them. A few people have left yeah, yeah, whatever. for different reasons. So we're in the 20s. So, and now there's a possibility that the party the drops under 20. It's... Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's going to be a, a learning lesson, I think, for everyone. Uh, there's going to be a period of rebuilding for sure. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's always ups and downs in politics, that's for sure. But this is a historic low. There's there's only one way you can rebuild. Demolition. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you need, yeah, and and I, I think you're right. At the same time, like, you know, looking at the, the Quebec Conservative Party, sorry, the Quebec Liberal Party, um, it was always supposed to be I, I feel as as a conservative, and I and I didn't renew my Quebec Liberal Party um, membership. Yeah, um, I I feel sort of politically homeless in Quebec right now. Mm -hmm. uh, but as I because I always felt ostracized, even during my time there during the Cuyard area, which I I don't feel that it was right that I felt like that, but I, I not as much. But I definitely feel ostracized now for being a, a federal conservative. Mm. Within, if I were to be in the in the Quebec Liberal Party, I feel that there would but be that's less strange. acceptance. But that's strange because when when Jean Charest came in, he brought a lot of conservatives to the Liberal but Party. Now that he now that that era is over, yeah. and Cuillard too. Like I remind you, Cuillard, and I don't mean this to to throw him under the bus, but like Cuillard was a conservative, still is. I presume he still is a federal conservative. Mm -hmm. He donated money to the Conservative Party. He donated money, and that's why I'm saying in terms of throwing him under the bus, he donated money to Maxime Bernier when Maxime Bernier was a federal minister wow. under Stephen Harper. Um, I think when he was Minister of Foreign Affairs, he donated 1,500 bucks um, to the um, to his association in Beauce. Um, he was, uh, Cuillard was, uh, was on the security and, um, security commission with, um, I think Arthur Porter at the mm -hmm, time, mm -hmm. uh, appointed by Stephen Harper. So my point being is that like, he had a really friendly relationship. And so we went through like two conservative, well, obviously Jean Charles was more conservative, I would say than Cuillard. My point being is that conservatives felt welcomed. Federal conservatives felt welcomed in the Quebec liberals. I don't think that's the case anymore, at least from the Quebec conservatives I speak to. Yeah. They feel, and, and. I just don't feel, I feel that the, you asked the question, like, have you, have you fallen out of line with the party or has the party fallen out of line with yeah. you? And that's yeah. the question that I keep on having to ask myself. It's like, do I really see a place for myself in this party? Yeah. And, and are they, they're going through their own identity crisis. Oh my God, we need to be as nationalistic as the CAC. Um, we need, oh, we can throw Anglophones under the bus. Oh, we can throw um, multiculturalism. Screw that. We don't know what that is anymore. Yeah. Um, we're all we're all for inclusivity and and uh, the, this concept that multiculturalism is bad. And it's what is going on? Yeah. They're, so they're abandoning every single classical liberal tenant mm -hmm. that they had for the sake of what it, wherever the wind is blowing. Yeah. Wherever the wind is blowing, the PO, the modern POQ will go. And if that doesn't say disingenuous to voters... Uh, yeah, look, I agree with you, man. Uh, the thing about the Liberal Party, and this is why everyone had this understanding, that, like there was a security net, because it was founded on these principles and on these values that had carried the party throughout whatever, 125 years now, whatever, more than that. 150 years. 150 yeah. years. Because regardless of the political context or the social context or the economic context, whatever had changed over the last 150 years, this party had 
these this foundation that was so deeply rooted because of these values that it values got of the, federalism exactly it yeah. got them to to to, to you know, to, to cross, you know, the test of time. And this is why I'm saying, I notice also the difference now. And this is really going to be a test right now because I also feel that they're not true to these values. Um, it, It's going to be an interesting campaign. I, I, I don't know what the outcome, well, I think we all know what the outcome is going I'm, to be. I'm certain of the outcome. Yeah. I, I will put literally... Thousands of dollars on the outcome. I think I think a lot of people are certain of the outcome. It's just uh, what I meant to say is the outcome of the party and what's ah. going to happen and how they're going to rebuild <laughs> and, and how they're going to meet this, um, you know, this obstacle. And is, is it too early to start talking about potential successors to Dominique Anglade? Because I, I definitely have a few that I think would be I, fantastic. I, I, look, Let's assume that the Liberal Party will finish on October third with less than twenty uh, MNAs. Is that is that the the barometer you think? That's the threshold that you're. If if it's less than twenty, then it, there's it's dead. Well, less than what they have now. But I think if I think if Dominique Anglade loses one seat, um, she's gone. One seat, I think she could probably salvage it. But I, I based on Unless what we're seeing now, based on what we're seeing now, based on what the polls are yeah. suggesting, we're dropping under twenty seats. Yeah. If that happens, I don't see how on the 3rd of October at night, she doesn't resign on the spot. I don't see it. I, I, I don't see how she could not do that if really the results reflect what the polls yeah. are showing now. Because obviously we know, you know things can happen. Things can change really quickly. I think it's a huge gap to cover. Uh, I think they need a miracle for, for the polls to be wrong on this one. Yeah. But um, if that's the case, then I think she will have no choice but to resign. The problem now is that all the quote-unquote competent, experienced, whatever you want to describe them as, M&As are no longer there. Everyone left. So this is a period of renewal of the party. And if Dominique Anglade resigns, because if the numbers actually, uh, if the polls actually are reflected during the campaign... Who's going to assume interim? Who's there? And who is going to have an interest in actually running Yeah, on, from the inside? It, so, it, I don't know. I think somebody who has executive experience being at the cabinet table and also has now had at least has two terms under his belt come uh, come next election and who will be reelected is Carlos Leitao. I think Carlos He's not, he's not running again, Carlos. Yeah, he is. No, he's not. No, yeah, oh, oh, Carlos announced he's stepping down. Really? Of course. Who's running Robert Baldwin? I don't know. Oh, so, in that case, never mind. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't even know that he had. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was almost certain that Carlos no, was running no, no, for. No, no, he's not running. So we're gonna have like a little thing underneath the uh, <laughs> the video here. It's like you know, Michael. Michael was dearly wrong, or Michael was right. Um, but in any case, I could have sworn. Dude, but you're I, very convincing. I, I maybe no, but I'm uh, I'm almost 100 percent percent that he's not running. Okay. I, actually, I for sure he's not running for okay. sure. He's not there. So if we if we rally so, the people so that are there, Mar Mark Tangier, Mark yeah, Tangier, because yeah. interim, I can see Filomeno Rotiroti. Filo won't take on that responsibility. I know Filo personally. I, I think she's super intelligent, but I don't think that she would be up for that. But Mar Mark is uh, Mark Tangier would be. Yeah. There's André Fortin. But he had, no, he's running for leadership. There's no way that. Okay, they, no, we're talking about leader. Okay, oh, okay, you're talking about interim. Me. No, no, I'm sorry, but the interim. I don't think I. I think that that's why I was saying Carlos. I think would be an excellent. Okay, I don't, okay, I don't okay. think I don't think Carlos would run for leadership. But I think he'd be. We need somebody like a, a Pierre Arquin type of style. So he's not running either. Yeah. So yeah. So you don't have you. You have like just you know, a handful but, of but people. Run, 
who cares about interim leader? Who's going to run for the for the the real job? I think it's I think Andre Fortin. I think you see Pierre Moreau considering. You if think it's, he's going to bring him back? If, if it's, it's healthy, he bring him back, back from the dead. No, Pierre, Pierre is very. I, I hope he's he's healthy and happy. But I my point being is that I I think that he uh, would def if he's you know gets a sign off. Uh, you know I, I think that he would from from a health perspective he would run. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see Andre Mara Risky. Mara Risky has always because obviously she ran against Dominique Anglade. It it, it obviously didn't pan out. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she dropped out. She's uh, definitely she's definitely amb- she has the ambition. The only question that I have is that she's expecting a baby. Yeah, and that's the and I'm ha- and congratulations to to, to Greg uh, yeah, to her and, to Marwa. and to Greg. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, by the way, they're they're like an adorable power yeah, couple. Yeah, yeah. Like they they are a power couple. They're they're, they're, they're great. It's they're so great. cool to see that they're great, and it, it's it's a cute story too. It's a great yeah, story, which a, I think was like featured. Was it the New York Times yeah, or Vogue know, or someone? Something? Someone featured major it, yeah, yeah. American publication yeah. picked up on Greg and Marwa, and, and it's fantastic. It's just it, it's a feel good story, good for them. So I don't know. I mean. You know, it's tough. I mean, I can speak for myself. I have two yeah. kids. They come first, man. It's uh, But it's also a great story in terms of showing, you know, we, we always talk about, oh, they won't be able to do it because of X, Y, Z. Or, mm-hmm. But what if they, we, we talk about, oh, well, they will be able to do it because of X, Y, Z. And, it's, and, and rather, you know, you know, we, we you use that as an advantage saying, hey, you know, uh, like we've seen with with uh, members before, with ch- with kids, ministers, prime yeah. ministers, especially in Europe. I think a lot of the Scandinavian countries yeah. have been very forward facing. Look, on it's that. definitely a challenge. Will she oh, be up for it? She's definitely someone that would have the motivation, the ambition to do it. Now, I don't know. Look, when and the she get- and she brings, pol- she has policy chops. She and she's yeah. an excellent communicator. Um, you know, do I think that everybody in the party is in line with her? I don't know. Do no, I? Th- do I, I can think tell that, you that no for sure. And but do, do I also think that she might mirror a lot of Dominic's policies too that she would have had over the course of the past three years that may not have been mm. as popular and mm. will prove to not be That's popular come election day. Maybe not. But that that brings it back to somebody like Andre, who I think will be actually able to hopefully unite the party. Andre, Andre Fortin, for those uh, for those wondering, he was interested in the last leadership campaign and he had announced that he wasn't running because of family so because his kids were too young so he opted not to do that because of that um so look marwa definitely has the ambition the motivation to do it is the kid going to affect something in the formula maybe maybe not i don't know but yeah we can include her. we can include her if you want um I, i you have to look at the more experienced people so I have Marc Tanguay there. I have André Fortin, Mara Risky for sure, because she, she showed that interest from the get-go. Like we said, there's that you know baby situation in the way. Aside from those three, I don't know who's left. I know, I know who has the team around him, who has the financing mm-hmm. around him. Mm-hmm. And who has the strategic advisors who will push him in any director? That Jean Charette, baby. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to come back. Oh, my God. So, yeah. So, you know, I, I've been speaking with some um, some people in the caucus that are, at, you know, given the situation, if they lose, and I think we all know that, at least I believe they will, uh, they believe that the best option would be someone on the outside, from the outside. So, and w- when when... When I heard that, immediately my mind went to Pierre Moreau as well. Yeah. So, is he up for it? Uh, I don't know. Oh, we'll see. But other than but that, it's this is the interesting thing. But, but when we the, talk about when we like, who's left, and then, but then again, like when you talk about like oh somebody from the outside. Well, what if we talk about somebody really from the outside? Who hasn't been a member of caucus of the PLQ before? Who doesn't have parliamentary experience? Mm-hmm. But maybe like a businessman, 
businesswoman who would be able to come in, who would want to? Who would want to make that? If they're having difficulty recruiting people for seats, I'm I can assure you they would have difficulty Look, recruiting people for a leadership position. I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you one thing. If you are of that caliber, a person of that caliber, business oriented or like a successful person you see that as a fucking challenge you see that as a great challenge you're like look this is the lowest they've ever been there's only one way and it's up and let's go you know let's transform this shit i can so i'll throw a wild card um a few of them actually your way oh because there could be with this one thing was one category there could be a few options former federal liberal minister um, a Denis Coderre type. Oh fuck! A current. Nope. I would say, hey, fourteenth times a charm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, in any case, um, no. I think I think Denis. It wouldn't be. Thank you so much. Um, I don't know if that's the the appropriate thing, but I'm saying I no, could I, think, I could I'm see sorry. I could see Denis thinking about coming back in. Um, I, I don't, I don't think it'd be. That. But this is the thing, and the thing is, Quebecers, Quebecers know that, and leaders should know this too. In Quebec, that when they lose, there's no coming back. When you've when you've governed and when you lose, you're out. And even when you've been in opposition as a leader and you lose, you should you should look for the door. Yeah. And there's no coming back. But I'm thinking about what I what I really meant to say. I was kidding about Codel, although I could see him attempting a run. Is my point. Um, what I'm really talking about is somebody from the uh, Trudeau cabinet. If they're seeing the writing on the wall federally and they're saying, you know, we're getting a little bit anxious about this Pierre Paglia fellow. I've heard things through the grapevine um, that someone like Joel Lightbound, who came out against Justin Trudeau, yeah. remember he made some... Um, Well-respected. And, and he, From the Quebec region. Yeah. Maybe interested. Really, I know a few constituents very well respected. I had heard also through the grapevine that a guy like Philippe Francois Champagne mm-hmm. would want to take a stab at it, even though deep down I think that he he'd wants be to run more inclined to yeah. run for the leadership of the federal uh, Liberal Party. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. <coughs> it's going to be definitely interesting because internally. There's not that many options. No, no, it's it's. Uh, listen, you, just by the simple fact that they're they're down to such low numbers at this point, uh, well, will be down to such low numbers. It's terrible. This is the, this is the party that I worked for. It's the party mm. that you worked for and you ran for. Yeah. And we're we're talking about it as if it's a funeral, right? Like it's it's really it's sad, but it's true. I, I, I mean, it's you know, what? I don't I don't see it as a funeral. I, I, um, and you know, I was exchanging with another um, member uh, um, just today, and he's like, right. "George, you're so pessimistic." And I'm like, "Look, dude, I'm not a, I'm not a pessimist. I'm I actually consider you're myself drinking the Kool Aid. I'm actually I actually consider myself as a very optimistic person. I just see things very realistically and." These, this is what's happening. I mean, no, how can you I mean, see the, it differently? And that ca- the caucus is drinking Kool Aid, and they're and they're satisfied. It, with depa- that. it depends who you talk to in the caucus. Because I've been speaking with some people in the caucus that are as realistic as I am, and they're like, you know what? Fuck this shit. Fuck your money. Uh, this is yeah, man. It's like, look, you want this much money? This is what you're getting, and fuck the rest. Yeah. And I don't care. I've had it up to here. Let's go. Let's get this over with. I just want to get to the to to, to October fourth. There are members of the caucus that are already in that mindset. In that mind frame, yeah. So, you know, uh, they're not, they haven't all drank the Kool-Aid. Um, and I can guarantee you, and, you know, we just saw a couple of pictures there on social media. There are people that are already thinking about perhaps leadership. They're, you know, they're, they resurfaced and they're doing things that they've never done before. And maybe they're thinking, okay, it's a campaign, but really they're thinking, fuck, I got to boost my image. Yeah. By going, going to tennis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, 
I don't know boy. what's going to happen. It's going to definitely be an interesting campaign. To everyone listening or watching, I'm considering bringing back the car ride conversations. I think it's going to I be fun. You say I'm considering running for the yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm so like, considering. Like he's making the announcement as podcast. I'm considering a leadership bid. No, no. Um, <laughs> it's going to be fun. Um, oh, if you did the, the, the car ride podcast, I think that was a fantastic. It was uh, fun, no? I thought as yeah. somebody who was a victim of, of your car ride, <laughs> of your drive. Actually, you know, you're, ex- you're, ex- you're an excellent driver, actually. And... and Actually, having to do the interview while you're driving is a feat within right? itself. It's right? not easy, I'm sure. Exactly. Especially when in, in a riding like mine, where it's downtown. downtown. Yeah. Um, when I was doing, when I was running for the for the Conservatives in, in Vinmarie, um, that that was actually one of my some of my favorite shows that I've watched of yours. It's cool. Yeah, I think it's cool, and uh, I know that nobody has the time to come to the South Shore to give an interview for even 30, 40 minutes and then drive back to the riding wherever they are. So I, so is it more the fact that they're, they don't want to do the interview at all? And like you just park park outside their house and, and just beg. stalk them all day? <laughs> no, just like stalk. Say like, hey, your, your, your Uber's ready. Yeah, it's, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's honestly just practically, it makes more sense. I'll bring the podcast to you. And uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. That's cool. Yeah. Dude, I've taken up uh, a lot of your time. Uh, it's my absolute pleasure. It's, uh, it's so fucking fun to see you, dude. Likewise. I mean, you're, you're breaking records on this podcast. I don't know. It's your fourth, fifth time. 17th I, and a half. <laughs> I don't know at this point. It's always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Um, good luck. You, we didn't get into it in detail, but we don't have to. You started a new chapter in your professional life. Yep. Super Lo- lobbying, good news. Lobbying, lobbying the for federal the- government. Federal, federal. You're doing federal, or provincial. I do all three actually. I do municipal, oh, uh, provincial, okay, okay, cool. and federal. I'm a, I'm a, a man of a, a, a team of one. Wow. Um, but but supported by uh, by a really good team. It's at, so um, good, man. I'm so yeah. happy for you. When I saw that when you posted, I was I was really uh, really happy for you. So uh, good luck with that. Um, Appreciate it. Who knows? Maybe uh, maybe we'll do another one during the campaign. Hey, be happy to uh, <laughs> come back and um, either in your car or here in Brossard, whatever works for you. Okay. So cool. Thanks a lot, buddy. Cheers. Good to see you. You too.